there and it wasn't just serving the local neighborhood back in the 50s, 60s, 70s. So it's almost as if we were dealing with a, a piece of land that we basically felt wasn't wasn't addressed by this master plan. Obviously, some of the concepts of the master plan we know are, are very crucial in compatibility and not doing it in a neighborhood, but I think that that's why everyone was having so much difficulty. Yes. Um, that's uh, very fair. I think since um, uh, none of us are guilty of that language, um, uh, we, we, we can surmise that everyone was not thinking about the elephant. And, uh, <laughs> Maybe they were thinking about the elephant and just preferred to avoid it, which I find equally plausible. And I'm sure that this is a mistake that this board will not make in our current master plan. Oh, of course <laughs> not. I sure hope not. It will be someone else sitting here accusing us of that same thing. I hope not. Um, uh, speaking of which, uh, there are people here for the Germantown master plan, which we were supposed to have started discussing about an hour and a half ago. Uh, I frankly don't know what to tell them about uh, uh, our schedule here. Uh, this is a tough issue, and uh, unless the board is ready to make decisions on this, uh, we may be at least another half hour uh, on this topic before we're ready to take up the next yeah. one. Mike. I would say at least that we'll be as thorough with theirs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to, with my Commissioner Presley's indulgence, I'd like to pursue her central point which is, first of all, you know, if, if this thing proposal's approved, it's not going to destroy the community because destruction is Galveston, New Orleans, Hiroshima. It's 8%, which is under regulatory standards in virtually every administrative body in the United States and in most of Europe is 10%. That's material. The, the problem that the community is driving at it, which I have considerable sympathy for, is if anybody on this board had 8% of the houses torn down in their neighborhood, wouldn't you feel a bit threatened? Especially when yeah. another couple, three, five, ten. Yeah, are, when there's are being more houses that are being purchased outside the project boundaries. First of all, the statute says significant, and there's no doubt in the same regulatory standards I refer to that 5 to 10% is considered significant. So there's going to be significant impact here. People's expectations are going to be changed. People's perceptions are going to be changed. The community is going to look different for a while when they come home in the evening. So there's clearly significant impact here, and there's threat of more impact down the road. So... Uh, and the hospital probably needs to expand, and I think that's the conundrum we find ourselves in. And I don't know quite where I come out on it. They need to expand, but we haven't yet um, discussed amongst ourselves whether we believe they need to expand in the fashion they presented. And I do think that while it may present some inconvenience, um, based on some of the things we've heard, other hospitals that have, even at the lower number of surgical rooms, uh, multiple floors for that facility. I'm certainly not satisfied myself that they have to expand in this particular footprint, and that's the issue I have. Can I tell my suburban story now? Good. I've been waiting all day. Go, go ahead, Mr. Alfonso. <laughs> I'll, I'll save everybody that. Um, it does need to expand. I, I went there as a four-year-old, and I still have the scar from a lousy intern. <laughs> But you're trying to improve. 
Uh, but it's not my business to get into your business. I don't think it's the board's business to get into your business to do that. And I realize it's a, it's a difficult business. It's an important business. And I think we need to get out of your way and let you do your business. However, I do think that you did a pretty poor job of working this special exception since 2001. And uh, I think it's kind of, seems to me, the reason's heavily weighted economically. Um, and also, uh, it's not uh, compatibility is, and not to compatibility economically, and not to compatibility. What happens is it leads to a design by the board. I mean, that's what we've been doing for the last three or four hours. You know, is just trying to tweak the plan and dance around the issues, and that's not a good thing, either. Um, this is a community issue, and I asked you earlier, Barbara, about it, uh, that's bound, in my mind and in my judgment, by the master plan. And the master plan of 1990 um, has a certain geographic area. More specifically, there's a, a, a neighborhood in this geographic area. And I, I do take exception to our staff's very good job, Renee, of drawing the boundary that it includes that piece of national NIH because there's no street in there, so there's no real access to it. But that's uh, that's not a bad error, so I forgive you for that. But the <laughs> the the neighborhood is important. Um, somebody that maybe is wiser that I know wiser than me. The chairman may not think she's wiser than him. Is Jane Jacobs, who is a great observer of cities, American cities and neighborhoods, and this is what she said. A successful neighborhood is a place that keeps sufficiently abreast of its problems so it is not destroyed by them. And I think that's what this neighborhood has done. And that's, again, what we've seen today. And to me, that's what defines a neighborhood. That being said, they are not without their sins either. Um, you know, I've, I've gone through the neighborhood, and there have been quite a few removals of houses there with tasteful replacements. There are, from what I can gather on this map, many more rights of ways that have virtually been abandoned in that neighborhood than you're suggesting abandoning, abandoning with Lincoln Street. Um, however, there's a significant problem with the plan. There is a significant problem with it, and uh, co specifically compared to the master plan. Demolition, I mean, it's pretty clear office encroachment, which if, you know, there is a condition that it's what you say it is, which I believe you, I do. That, that's a great use. As I said, you didn't package it well, but there's no way for us to know that at this point. Compatibility, I agree with everything the chairman said on that parking, but that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. Um, for one thing, just to face the existing neighbors with your surface parking is rude, <laughs> if nothing else. And it is a design issue. I mean, Marty said, you know, it's not really a, an engineering issue. It's a design issue. And this continued potential leaking of the hospital into the neighborhood, which I think can be addressed, but they haven't been. None of these have been addressed yet. Now, let me go back again and shift gears a little bit, because what we're talking about is a special exception that does have historical basis. And Mr. Johnson, who was here earlier, 
if I can find his thing, you know, gave a really interesting history of how this happened. It wasn't a government taking. I thought it might have been an eminent domain by the federal government, but it wasn't. You know, it, it got started just this way on a, on a residentially zoned piece of land. So in that respect, you're not incompatible with, with what you're trying to do at all. You're not out of bounds with what you're trying to do. I just think that you have gone about it not as smart as you probably are. And, um, you know, depending on what we're going to vote on or what we're going to recommend first, because I'm fine with whichever way you want to go, Mr. Chairman, but I think we do need to do something. Um, you're, you're presuming that I know. But. <laughs> um, I, I, I agree with our staff, our urban design staff, conclusion, not to deny it, because I don't like denials, but the recommendations that they made, I think, are fairly good um, mediated recommendations. What I would prefer to see, because I think you can get a much better plan, is if you sit down with the neighborhood. This is a chance for the neighbors to say yes. You know, they may have said no, but this is a chance for them to say yes. And I realize you may be too late. Barbara, I appreciate you not saying we got a date with the hearing examiner. I know you do, but I really appreciate you not, you know, making that a real big deal. I thought you would today, and, and, and I appreciate that. She, she doesn't have to. I have checked with the hearing <laughs> examiner to find out if we had a date, and we do. And all of these things are important. I know they are. They really are. Variances are difficult to get. I'm not, you know, just being cavalier about any of this, but this is at the heart of our county, and this is at the heart of what I do, which is protecting neighborhoods. And we're not doing a good job protecting this neighborhood with a wonderful facility that's always been there and always should be there. I think we can be more intelligent and more thoughtful with it. And that's my rant. Ms. Carr? Oh, thank you. Um, you know, we had a lot of reading to do, but we also have a lot of living we've done. Those of us who've been here in Montgomery County long enough to be familiar with suburban, and I've certainly known what it is to go to the entrance of suburban hospital to visit someone and know exactly what you were talking about, which is why I asked the question. I think what we're caught in today is weighing two goods, which we often are on this board, the two goods of it. One, we do have a very uh, contented and happy community around it. And yes, as someone very well said, you're a hospital in a residential area surrounded by, on three sides, by homes. But I also think the other part of this that, that is making me um, go in the direction I'm going in is, one, I did want to know about the office space and the, and the parking. And I am convinced that a hospital, the quality of a hospital, is now dependent so much on the, on the availability of the best doctors possible. And yes, they have to be there for the kind of things you're talking about. So to me, the offices are a plus, not a minus to this situation. And they, therefore, and they take the space that's required to do it. I also was not just looking at the immediate community of the homes, which I certainly understand how it would feel to have this many homes taken, but I was also thinking about the community as it stretched across. Across from here is NIH, and across from NIH is Walter Reed and the Bethesda Naval Hospital. It's a, it has become a medical center of the state of Maryland and maybe even of the country, perhaps even the world. So it's not just the community homes. I think um, 
all of us here are feeling the same thing and putting it in much better phrases than I am. But I think what I would say is that, yes, it's a change in your community. It is indeed. But I'm not sure it's not a good change in that being connected to something like this and being involved with something as significant as this medical center is, in frankly, is, is something of this next century that we're in. Um, Suburban Hospital has been a, a noble and wonderful institution in the past, but I do, I'm convinced its best years are ahead. I've known the work it's done, uh, we all have, in trying to be involved with hard work and all the rest of it. Its best days, I'm convinced, are ahead. And I'm not sitting here today to say, this community will be harmed by this. It will be changed. The question is, will it be harmed by it? And I'm not convinced it will be. So I do intend to say yes to this. Um, and I have given this enormous amount of thought. Um, I'm usually on the other side of something like this, as you probably know. But I have listened, and I have looked at it, and I've thought about it. I am not convinced by any of the fine people who came forward to say about the wonderful care they had at Suburban. Everybody loves Suburban Hospital. That's not a good enough reason to change this. The reasons are the reasons that I've given. The future, where it is now, and what it can become, and what we need it to become. So I'm in support of this, and I do want to make it clear why. Any other comments? Um, Mr. Robinson? Well, I think uh, before we vote, maybe it's fair people stay where they stand because that'll inform the vote. First of all, the closure of Lincoln Street, I do not believe it makes any difference from a transportation point of view, and I don't think it makes a significant impact on the community. It does change people's patterns a little bit and maybe how they view driving around their community, but I don't think that's the standard, really. It's a transportation test, and I think that closing Lincoln Street is completely within the transportation scope of the transportation test, particularly given uh, the Court of Appeals decision that Barbara mentioned, and I'm perfectly willing to rely on her representations as to the case in this situation. I think it would probably be wise, since that's with the stipulation that since the right-of-way is being dedicated on McKinley Street anyway, McKinley Street should be widened between Old Georgetown Road and Grant Street to make sure that it functions efficiently. I just think that's a fair quid pro quo. The hospital should bear that expense. That's very similar to when at Seventh-day Adventist Hospital wanted to move up on Route 29. They ended up spending more money on transportation improvements than they wanted to to alleviate this, those types of concerns. Now I get to the nub of the issue. I don't think in theory that 23 houses, tearing down 23 houses, is going to destroy a neighborhood. No, that's just inconsistent with the language of what the word means. And I think the master plan's ambiguous. I think certainly it contemplated that to the extent there were going to be more local medical offices, daycare things, et cetera, right on Georgetown Road, that those assemblages were discouraged because it would change the residential character of old Georgetown Road. And we've had that same problem, as we all know, on 355 between Bethesda and Friendship Heights. And that's the type of situation that those various types of master plan language drives to, which is the changing of the character of 
old Georgetown Road and the areas around the fringe. It's certainly the master plan sufficiently ambiguous that we could say that this extension of an existing special exception that the public interest required it into the neighborhood would be acceptable. But I have two significant problems with it. First of all, the hospital has handled itself in a way that just guarantees that this community would experience the maximum threat possible because <laughs> if you're already acquiring houses outside this particular footprint, you've blown your credibility in terms of that's not going to be further expansion down the road. And so I look at my colleagues and say, assuming that I can swallow 23 houses, and I can't do that unconditionally to make it clear, I am concerned that there be some credible way of enforcing the fact that the hospital won't expand beyond the boundaries that our staff has discussed in this special exception application. And the only way that I can think to do that is for the hospital to bind itself that it will not expand beyond this particular area without going to the council for a sector plan amendment. And which, by the way, is the option. We might end up having enough no votes here that you're going to have to go back to the hospital to the council for a sector plan amendment instead of a special exception, and that'll solve <laughs> your master plan issues if you can get it done. But I would certainly not vote for this proposal unless the hospital binds itself that it will not have further, ex as a mandatory condition of the special exception, that they will not expand any further without going back to the council for a master plan am amendment and resolving the ambiguities that we find here. Finally, I agree with the chairman completely that if you're going to take down the 23 houses, particularly the houses that fall along Grand Avenue, where that's going to be the most significant impact on the community, whether the community, it's community members walking their dogs down the street much less people living across the street, that's a very material change in people's expectations. It really is. Significant for 5 to 10 percent, but for those people, it really is material because it's such a change. They're going to get up and they're going to look out the window every morning and they're going to see the hospital parking lot. And I don't, if it was a real park where there were lots of trees and there was a walk through it, they might community might adjust in time and I might be able to approve it. But I can't approve the design as it stands because I find that running a hospital parking lot right up against the edge of an existing community where there's going to be that change, radical change in expectations, I can't vote for that. So I've given you two or three things that if they were changed, I might be able to vote for it. But I've given you two or three things that if they aren't changed, I can't vote for it. So that's where I'm at. I, I wish I could even get to that point. I can tell you, I, I can't get to classifying 23 homes, the loss of that as not significant, um, not even considering the 8% the as a value, but considering that representing an entire block and also irreparably changing the character of a neighborhood, um, especially in view of what I find I'm responsible to uphold in the master plan. And I do see language that specifically addresses this, regardless of whether the name suburban hospital is used. And I'm, I'm referring to page 59. The plan recommends the preservation of the residential character of the old Georgetown Road, blah, 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 from Beltway to Southbrook. But it, it goes on to say what that means. 
Frontage continues to be a suitable residential area, providing transit serviceable housing within walking distance of the Bethesda Business District and NIH. For these reasons and because of the numbers of service and commercial uses uh, already there and the best way to achieve the plan's goals, blah, 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 the plan recommends the preservation of the residential character of Old Georgetown Road from the Beltway south to Glenbrook Road and the protection of adjacent single-family neighborhoods from further encroachment by special exception uses except those that are community serving and goes on to describe what we've already talked about, what really is the community. And I think that um, for me, I can't get to the justification of going completely against, I mean, that was not the only reference, but nobody wants me to read all of these yellow tabs that I have here. Uh, there's so much here in the plan, uh, the master plan, that indicates that we're trying to preserve that, preserve those homes and not encroach on the neighborhood, that I can't see that the hospital as much as I understand why you need to make some of the changes that you need to make. Doing it in this manner is is such a disregard for the existing community that I, I couldn't bring myself to say that it's not a severe impact that can't be undone regardless of what else they plan to do in the future. Okay. Mr. Alfondre, you have anything else you want to say? Um, let me try to um, state my position. I think that um, conformance with the master, or I think the master plan is ambiguous uh, at best. Uh, it doesn't directly address suburban's uh, expansion. Uh, there's language there that can support it. There's language, as Commissioner Presley says, that seemed to go against that. Um, I think um, that it just isn't, I don't think the master plan gives us very clear guidance on this particular situation. I think we have to go to the kind of issues that Commissioner Cryer was raising. I would take it that this is a community serving function. Uh, the community is much larger than the neighborhood in this case. This is a, a county, indeed a regional facility of great significance. Um, I think these, there are some very difficult issues here, but I think we, that's why we get to work without lunch most of the time. Um, the, um, I was very concerned about the Lincoln Street closing, and I still am, but I don't think that, um, I, that we've got a demonstration that it is necessary for uh, the community. Uh, it certainly is desirable, uh, but I don't think necessary quite makes it. Uh, and while uh, there may be an alternative uh, way of uh, expanding the hospital that uh, would not require the closing of uh, the street. We don't have any persuasive evidence today that uh, a feasible alternative is there. Um, it seems to me that uh, at least what we have before us uh, without uh, going into the kind of uh, 
adversary in an evidentiary hearing that the hearing examiner will conduct, uh, that uh, the alternative is is readily available. And so for those reasons uh, and the fact that um, there is, if slightly less convenient, at least available uh, capacity on the other streets uh, with McKinley uh, improved uh, to take care of the uh, access needs of the, of the neighborhood. Um, I can, uh, uh, without a great deal of enthusiasm, uh, accept the, uh, the closing of, uh, or the abandonment of uh, Lincoln. Um, I think that um, it is important to add enough height additions floors to the parking garage to replace all of the spaces that would confront Grant. Um, I can't find a justification for taking down all those houses and not making a very, very substantial improvement uh, to the environment that will confront uh, the people on the other side of Grant. Uh, the, uh, I think that's, that's possible, and I would certainly uh, support a variance uh, if one is needed for the height of the garage because it confronts um, NIH, and um, there's going to be a lot of space and trees and park uh, behind it. Uh, I think uh, the uh, great attention needs to be given, and I would strongly support the, um, the tree safe plan that has been recommended, and there is an opportunity for more trees um, in the area where uh, the parking would be located. And in fact, if you can get enough uh, additional space in the garage. The more surface parking you can remove, the better. Uh, the greener the area will be, and the more it will provide an enhancement rather than a, uh, uh, a burden uh, to the community. Um, the, um, uh, I think the, um, I want to reinforce uh, Mr. Robinson's position that um, this special exception uh, should indeed must include a determination that the maximum expansion limits of suburban hospital are confined within Southwick, McKinley, Old Georgetown, and Grant. Period. Stop. That's it. Um, the, um, and uh, to the extent that uh, uh, any of the um, additional homes on um, uh, Southwick or, or Grant can be uh, preserved, fine. I think that would, that would be good, but I think you do have to st deal with the lot coverage issues and you still will have the resubdivision. Uh, issues that you'll have to confront uh, later on, assuming you get through the hearing examiner and the Board of Appeals.
Any further comments before we vote? Mr. Chairman, to build on your remarks about the balance of the hospital, I've said that outside that they have to go for a sector plan amendment. I would add I expected them to dispose of the properties that are outside of those boundaries or make it clear that they're for residential uses only. Um, I tell you, right now, one of them, right at the corner of Southwick and uh, and Old Georgetown, where you see those nice porches, that's an Alzheimer's uh, daycare uh, uh, group home. It's an existing yeah. facility. That's existing. And so the ones that exist, um, I would I would ask that we be allowed to continue the use group of group homes considered to be a residential use. Yes, yeah. it's under the code, and if the other houses are used and kept in good condition for nurses, members of your staff that are strictly residential uses, I'd have no problems with that, but I don't want them to be used for medical or commercial use. Strictly residential and kept up. I think that would be fine. Mr. Chairman, uh, I did want to just uh, correct the wording of our last condition to make it more clear. It read that a um, adequate public facilities finding must be made at the time of preliminary plan, and actually it should read that the applicant must obtain preliminary plan approval, because that is an, a necessary part of a special exception finding, at which time a finding of adequate public facilities is necessary. So I, I just wanted to get the wording correct. Okay. Let me ask something. If we vote on this special exception, it's as is? Uh, if we vote on the special exception, you can, uh, you can attach any conditions or uh, comments that we wish. I think what um, uh, we normally would do in this uh, situation is vote on uh, the, uh, the staff report with amendments or the, uh, the staff recommendation with amendments. we got another two hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll hazard a motion, Mr. Chairman. If you could start with the preliminary uh, forest conservation plan, I believe. That's where or I is was it the road start. abandonment? That no. Actually, it has to be the road okay. abandonment and then the preliminary forest conservation plan and then the special exception. It has to be three separate, separate Why motions. Why does the road have to come first? Okay. Move approval of the forest conservation plan. Second. Discussion? All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? No. One no. Uh, I move approval, excuse me, I move approval the staff recommendation on the closure of Lincoln Street for the reasons stated by the chairman, noting my also lack of enthusiasm, and when we get to the special exception, that closure will be conditioned on the widening of McKinley between Grant and Old Georgetown Road to its full length full width, including the 10-foot dedication. That's not necessary for the transportation, vote on the transportation issue, but I want to make it clear that the things are linked. Is there a second of the motion? I second that. Any discussion of the motion? All in favor say aye. 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 No, with a note of record, I don't believe that it meets either of the conditions, either the right-of-way is no longer being necessary or the abandonment is necessary to protect the health safety and welfare of the residents near the right-of-way. Motion on the special exception as follows. First of all, clarification of language on the need to get a preliminary plan as a condition of moving about if the special exception is approved, then you have to go to preliminary plan, go through resubdivision. 
I move approval of staff recommendation on the special exception with the following modifications. First of all, in addition to the additional right turn facility on McKinley Street, McKinley has to be widened at the hospital's expense to a full 27 foot of the right of way between Old Georgetown Road and Grant to assure that there's adequate circulation in and out of the community. Second, this board's approval of the special exception is conditioned on the fact that the boundaries of the hospital will not be expanded beyond the boundaries stated by the chairman, which is McKinley, Grant, Old Georgetown Road, what's the fourth one? Southwick. Southwick. In the absence of a modification by the relevant master plan by the county council. Third, uh, our approval of the special exceptions conditioned on the removal of the parking facilities between Grant and the western edge of the hospital and substituting that for a planting buffer satisfactory to this board, which will be reviewed at site plan, since this requires site plan. Fourth, the board will support a variance for an additional story on the parking garage located along Old Georgetown Road in recognition of the parking spaces being shifted away from Grant Street. there's something we've overlooked any that's my motion all right is there a second the motion I'll second the motion any further discussion motion I just want to go on record mr. chairman that I, I don't think there's anything we could say here today that goes far enough to change this plan <coughs> to make it compatible uh, not only with with the to me fairly clear recommendations of the master plan um, but also for for the, the good of this neighborhood that's adjacent to it. We, I just don't think we're designers, and we can't just tweak this plan and make it any better. Okay. Any further discussion of the motion? All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? No. No, with a, for specific reasons that I don't find that I can find uh, in accordance with Chapter 59G-121 that this meets either Condition 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, or specifically 9C. Very good. All of us, we have voted. So there we are. Okay. Thank everybody very much. It's been a long day. Let's. That's. We're at this array, but there seems to be some combination. Yes, yes. Uh, oh, my gosh. Are you taking a break, sir? Uh, let's take five minutes, and then we'll take up the next items on the agenda.
Board will come to order. Ready for item number five, at last. At last. Uh, good afternoon. I'm Larry Cole with Transportation Planning, and with me is Kathy Conlon with Development Review. The item before you is the proposed Fire and Rescue Service regulations for the Fire Safety Code. The intent of the bill is to codify uh, FRS current practice, which is in line with the county's adoption of NFPA 1 in 2006. Many of the proposed features of this regulation concern items that were discussed in a general way in the road code discussions, but specific recommendations were not made until uh, near the end of the group's work in July. Because insufficient time remained to fully address the proposal, the executive decided to break this out as a separate regulation. The board's comments in this item will be considered in the executive's preparation of the final proposed regulation to be submitted to the council. FRS's intent is that these regulations be submitted to the council on the same schedule as the road code, which will be delivered by October 15th. Unlike the road code, however, there is no requirement to stay on the same schedule. We've made a number of comments on how the regulation should be revised, but our overall recommendation is that the standards should not be submitted to the council until they're reviewed in detail by the interagency working group. Um, FRS staff worked with us <coughs> excuse me, on how to resolve possible problems related to the road code changes, but there were some additional items that development review had a concern with, in particular with the uh, infill development, and we can, we have some slides if you'd like to see them. But otherwise, we have discussed uh, also those items with uh, fire and rescue prior to this meeting, and I believe that they're ready to address the staff's comments. Okay. Would you like to address the staff's comments? I'm Assistant Chief Mike Donahue. I'm the Deputy Fire Marshal for Montgomery County. Um, we've prepared a presentation as well, and we'd like to, and it will address uh, specifically some cases, the staff comments and other areas, it'll be more global. Uh, so, yes. Okay, go ahead. We'll try to do this with as much uh, dispatch as possible. I know you've been waiting a long time, and I'm sorry about that, but we've got other people also waiting. Quite all right, I understand. Um, I think the first thing we should start with is uh, it's, going up, yes it is. um, it's important to understand everything we're dealing with in the context of what we're doing. Uh, first, particularly as important is what we're building nowadays is not the same as what we were building years ago. Uh, the, the structures now are much more lightweight. Certainly we're seeing these very large wooden structures which present a significant fire problem to, for the fire service, uh, the extinguishing. Uh, the ability to extinguish these fires is taxes our, our resources. So what we see is, is uh, a typical um, design uh, that, that goes in line with the, I believe the current term is uh, neo-traditional design. Uh, so what we see here in uh, slide one, uh, sorry. Okay, this is just a shot of the inside, what we're doing. What you can see basically is we're building big lumber yards. As opposed to what we used to build years ago, which was we refer to as ordinary construction, where you had solid masonry walls, you only had wooden joists of dimensional lumber. What you see here is very small dimension lumber. You have synthetics uh, that are composites, they're, they're uh, formed lumber and stuff like that. It burns much more rapidly with much greater heat output than what used to, we, what we saw is in construction probably 20, 30 years ago. So the technology is pushing the boundaries of our abilities. Um, what we, how big we are building. Uh, you'll notice that we took this, this is 1994. We did look at the 2005 date, I believe it was. The numbers were the same, but the unfortunate part is that the single family and the uh, detached and single family attached are reversed, but the numbers are approximately the same. Uh, we're looking at house ranges anywhere from 
uh, a low was, uh, in this particular case, was 1,600 to 14,800 square feet. Uh, within the last couple of years, these numbers stay the same. So these are good uh, for comparison purposes. This is what we're burning. This is, this is today's world. Uh, on the left, you have a single-family detached. This is after a fire. I will show you a couple more shots. This, that particular shot just happens to be in um, Prince William County, excuse me, Loudoun County. But that same builder is building that exact same house here in Montgomery County. Uh, I believe is that a? I don't remember who makes it, but that same builder is building that same same house. The, the shot on the right-hand side is Rockville Town Center, um, one of the. Uh, excuse me. King Farm. That's King Farm. That's right? King Farm. As you can see, we successfully burned that building, too. Um, let's go to the next one. It's important you understand. Now, I want to put things in context here. This is Tall Poplar. Uh, this was a fire we had on March 10, 2006. This was simply a garage fire, okay, a garage. Two, 20 megawatts of energy output from the fire. The building was roughly 20 by 20. Seven minutes, 12 seconds from the time of the first 911 call to the arrival of the first unit, and this is what they met when they got there. Basically, the garage totally burned. Okay. This is a shot of the house, 24 feet behind the house, you can, or behind the garage. You can see where it melted the siding off the house. It had already penetrated into the attic at the time of arrival of the first unit, seven minutes after the initial 911 call. This is 32 feet to the face. This is across the alleyway. You can see that it's melted the siding off. This, in a couple more minutes, this would have got into this structure. April 16, 2007, this is Prince William County. This is a 6,000-square-foot house. From the time of the initial 911 call, 14 minutes later, you had a, a house that was fully involved, 150 megawatts of energy from, of output. This, this shot you see on the right-hand side, the fire department is already operating on the scene. This is what happens with lightweight construction. This is why we're so concerned about our abilities to get to the scene very quickly. Time versus products of combustion. Our response times are important for us. Once we get to the scene, we also have setup time. It takes roughly two and a half minutes for us from the time we arrive to the time we can begin to put water on a fire. So any impediment to our arrival is, is a significant issue for us. And this is Loudoun County. Uh, as you can see, May 28, 2008, 3,700 square foot. 3,700 square foot, that's what we're building here in Montgomery County. 16 minutes from the initial 911 call to full involvement, 90 megawatts of fire output. Okay. As you can see, you can even see the ladder there. Fire department is operating on the scene already. This is what they're, they're dealing with. They cannot get ahead of the fire very easily. Clarksburg Square Road, this is code compliant access. Here's the important part. If you look at those single family dwellings here, 5,000 square feet, 4,000 square feet, 4,000 square feet, 4,000 square feet, 4,500. The, the setbacks, the distance between those homes, 5 feet 4 inches, 4 feet 4 inches, 4 feet 4 inches, 4 feet 5 inches. Take a 150 megawatt fire or even a 90 megawatt fire, put it in any one of those structures. We are going to be hard pressed to operate to make an effective stand on that unless we can get there very, very quickly. That's why the, the access for us is so, so important. We have to be able to get there. Sir, uh, not to interrupt your testimony, but this is a very interesting point. Would you comment, please, on the relationship between the houses and the inaccessible 
alley and how that would affect one of your ability to One of the things we wanted to show here is this is a code-compliant access around uh, on Clarksburg Ridge Road, Clarksburg Square Road, and even the uh, Harness Point Way. We can get the fire trucks into all those. So this becomes a code-compliant. This is exactly what the regulation talks about. Not every street has to be a fire department access road. We still have plenty of room to get in place and operate around this. It'll be tight in some places, but it does meet the requirements. So we can have some inaccessible areas that don't meet the code requirement of 20-foot clear width, and we can still have room to operate. Now, on this, if you wanted to operate off the alley, would you run the hoses down the alley? We would run the hoses the down, down the, alley. the alley from the truck. Yes. Thank you. Okay. So we can still get to all sides of the structure. Here's another example. This is a shared driveway. This is a code-compliant access. This works for us. We can get the vehicle out. Of course, if somebody starts parking, we start seeing a row of cars on each side. We can't get through. That becomes a problem for us. But it it is a code-compliant access way. Are you all right if you've got parking on both sides of a 26-foot road? 26-foot road on both sides, no. On okay. one side, yes, we can make it work. On two one, sides, one no. One side, how wide is your truck? Ten feet, uh, maximum allowable by law. Um, it's ten feet from, it's eight-feet vehicle, and then uh, ten feet from mirror to mirror. So ten feet from mirror to mirror, and how much space is taken up by parking on each side? Uh, eight feet. At most eight feet. So you'd have ten feet clearance to go through. We've got a slide here for you here in a couple minutes. What, what makes this compliant? The radius and the, the right-of-way? It's, wi it's wide enough. H how wide is that pavement? You know? We figure it's approximately 20 feet. Yeah. And, the, and the ability to turn into it? Yes, we, we have the ability to turn into that. You, don't, you can't see it from this end, but yeah. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Just one of the stuff we wanted to show. This is a 26-foot, this is a 26-foot wide street. You can see where the parking is. You can see that people don't butt up right against the curb. They always stay out. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you can see how tight that vehicle is. And this happens to be the, uh, the truck company from uh, North Rockville, uh, which does run into the Germantown area where we, we're seeing a lot of the new development. So you can see it's very tight. Now, they can traverse that area, but here's the important part. This next slide, we didn't have a really good slide that showed it from Montgomery County, but this is, we have these types of trucks. This just happens to be Chesterfield County, Virginia. They're facing yeah. the same issues we are. You can see what happens when you put the outriggers down. Yeah. I, I am uh, uh, deliberately hurrying you along here, but um, the recommendation uh, of the staff on this, which would get to this, is that uh, the regulation include language that allows parking on both sides of 26-foot uh, wide roads if the street pattern in the area would otherwise allow adequate fire access. No, sir. It would. How can we achieve otherwise adequate access if we, unless we're going to create, set up a situation where we have operating bays every so often, which we have allowed in the regulation where we have operating bays, but we have to make that part of. That's why the regulation set up the way it is. Yeah, Larry. What? what well, <clears throat> but it, but it could be that the, the criteria between you could have the three roads that Mike was just showing in one of those slides, and and both of those ra roads on either side might meet the criteria for uh, fire access road, but the top one wouldn't because the block length was short enough that it didn't need to meet it. We would have to allow parking on one, parking on one side of that road at 26 feet would work if you put it on both sides then you've really narrowed that road down. And uh, I've got a better slide that shows this, but 
Um, just go a little further. Okay. Um, keep going. Keep going. Yes. The, the other issue. The other issue is that <clears throat> the fire department wants to make sure that if there's one, if there's one vehicle there, that they can get another vehicle around them. Right. So, and mm -hmm. if the okay. the general pattern is such that they could get to the same spot by by another means. Right. Here, here's the part that really impacts us for uh, when you start looking at putting parking on both sides of a 26-foot road. The standard ladder truck requires an operating foot put, footprint 19 feet wide, 19 and a half feet wide, and anywhere from 47 to 50 or 59 and a half feet long. That's the operating footprint. That means when we set up in front of a fire, that's the space we need for that vehicle for the ladder truck. The standard engine company, the ones with the hoses, that's 18 feet wide by the length of the apparatus, roughly 35 feet plus 8 feet. We need that space to operate. So if you take two sides of a road and we have barely enough road to get through there, room to get through there, we don't have room to operate once we do get to the scene. And that's where it becomes very critical. It's one thing to drive there. It's another thing to have to park and actually do work. That's where it really becomes critical for us is we need the space to actually work off the apparatus. The hose comes off the side. It's got to be able to curve in a gentle curve. Otherwise, you put kinks in it. That reduces your flow. If you don't put the stabilizers out for the ladder truck, you can't put the ladder in the air. It's all those things that, that are accompany this to give yeah. you an effective operating room to do this. So a 26-foot wide street with parking on both sides, we may be able to traverse the center of it, but we can't do anything when we're there. And we've, we've actually had situations where we couldn't even open the apparatus door because people parked on both sides. So we got there and we couldn't get out. That seems to defeat the purpose of the fire department being there. Mike, if you could um, <clears throat> clarify, is it the, the standard fire truck that you're talking about or the ladder truck? They're both the same width. Right. Okay. Um, as far as traversing, they're, they're 10 feet, 10 and a half feet, I believe, from mirror to mirror, 10 feet mirror to mirror. Um, they're as wide, the body is as wide as law will allow, which we, we have to stick within the requirements of the federal DOT. So we don't get any wider than that. So both of these vehicles take up a significant footprint, mm -hmm. operating footprint. Okay. All right. Um, so basically you are disagreeing with the staff's recommendations or are you agreeing with their main recommendation that uh, was putting together an interagency working group we've, to make we would, sure we yeah, got the... Our biggest thing is we, would, we want to move this regulation forward. It provides some benefit for everybody to work off of. Currently, the codes are spread out within NFPA 1. Uh, within the um, International Fire Code, they're within NFPA 1141 and NFPA 1142. They're in a bunch of separate codes, and what this does is it consolidates them into one regulation that we can work with. The other benefit of, of having this local regulation, which we want to move forward relatively quickly, is that it takes some of those requirements that are in the code and it allows us to manage them at a local level. And I think staff can, can tell you that you know, on, a di on a weekly basis we work with them on, on trying to accomplish our goals. Um, but if we don't have this vehicle, I don't think we're, we're – there we go. We have problems, so we would like to continue. We want to move this forward, but at the same time, we want to be able to sit down with Kathy and, and with Larry and their staff and come up with some other things. We just had a discussion right beforehand, uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that we, we were looking at some possibilities of what we call either uh, interpretations 
which if we run across the same problem multiple times, we can issue an interpretation which specifies the requirements, gives the design community something to work off of. Um, what I understand, uh, the the, uh, the executive has got these out. There's a there's what a public 30, comment period, yes, sir. A 30 day uh, comment period right yes, now, and then he's going to submit them to the council. Yes, sir. And then the count and there's a 60 day period under is it 60 days? That's mm -hmm. right. Under method two, that they'll be before the council for uh, action. So we're talking. When, when were these published? Um, September 1st. The September 1st. Right, public comment period will end at the end of the month. So, okay, so we've got a few days. Um, uh, the, the executive gets our comments, uh, then he makes any revisions that he wants to make, so he sends them on to the right. council. And, right. But the, the point I was trying to make earlier is that unlike the road code, which is required to submit this stuff by yeah. October 15th, this, this, is not, this doesn't have a date. So, I mean, once once it's submitted, the council will okay. have 60 days, but there's no October 15th requirement. I see. It's a desire on the part of the executive to have these two regulations go hand in hand. So, uh, what do you have any problem with the with the recommendation that uh, we put a group together to, which seems to me it ought to be able to do that pretty fast? There was a group. There was a group that was put together actually to, to discuss some of the issues in Clarksburg two years ago. When we yeah, I remember some of that. one. So I mean, I, I would think that we would be able to reconstitute the same group fairly quickly. Yeah, uh, I, I remember we had uh, both two kinds of problems in, in Clarksburg. We we went back and amended some um, uh, some subdivision plans uh, to make them conform to the uh, road code, and uh, we had some other situations in which. We had to work out agreements uh, to allow uh, narrower streets in some cases so that uh, they could work for the fire department at the same time, not uh, uh, be so wide as we, we miss the kind of style of development we're trying to achieve. Yeah, part of my concern is some of the things we achieved if we go down that route is that for example, with Clarksburg, we wound up having the uh, developer go back and put pavers and some other alternative supporting surfaces in there. Um, we can continue doing business along those lines. It lengthens the process. Uh, I, I think it makes it a little more onerous on everybody concerned uh, to continue doing business the way we're doing it right now, which is really what we'd be wind up doing. Uh, I think this clarifies the whole process a little bit more uh, and wouldn't speed it, would, things up. Wouldn't it be better if we're going to require developers to do that that we uh, that we have advance everybody have advance notice that that's what they're going to have to do? For instance, put in pavers so that uh, you can make the turns and so that you've got the extra uh, extra width uh, when you need it. Um, if we're yeah, if, if we're dealing with that when we. When we go to subdivision and site plan, you've got it fixed. We don't have to go back and do it yeah, later. That's in part the reason for um, for some of our comments. We we thought that it would be useful to have an understanding up front for what's possible in some cases. We understand and, and we do yeah. work very well with fire and rescue on a case-by-case -case basis, but there are some standards that maybe we can all agree to and point developers to. And I, I also want to point out that the, it's one thing to apply these standards to new development, but there's a whole other type of development, small subdivisions and re-subdivisions and mm -hmm. infill development that we're looking at, and I think it would be beneficial to talk about those situations as well and see if there can be some clarifications, maybe incorporated here, maybe through the specifications that 
um, the fire marshal was talking about, um, we're open to either way, but we really just haven't had a chance to have the conversation. And that's what we really want to get out of this. And possibly a specific provision in the regulations that even say that exceptions are possible, modifications are possible, and, and here's how you go about getting them. Here's the process for that. So. Anything wrong with that? Pretty much think that's what we're doing now. <laughs> well, but we're doing it, we're doing it apparently on a case-by-case -case basis now. Is that it? I'm afraid that one of my concerns is the more you put into writing on a, as a uh, specific, and really what we're doing is we're working on a um, prescriptive code. And one of the things we want to be careful of is, is that we, we firmly believe that a performance-based code is a better way to go. It does require a little more effort in some cases, but the idea behind a performance-based code is that we're, we design, we agree on the end result and we leave it up to design professionals to how we accomplish that. If we start putting everything down in writing that these are the situations, really all we've done is create a perspective. I don't think that's what the staff's recommending at all. I think you are more interested in a performance yeah, base, aren't you? And it, well, it's also it's not a it's not a requirement that says you know you have to grant a waiver or you can only get a waiver under these circumstances. But the the road code also has similar things for sidewalks. You know, a waiver based on terrain or the the houses are situated such that you know it's not feasible to put a sidewalk or desirable to put desirable to put a sidewalk, but at least it, it puts forth some circumstances where a waiver could be granted. Yeah. Um, anything else? No, sir. Okay. I guess one thing that we had talked about before was was uh, just a direction in the in the code to to direct um, to a, a section at NFPA 1 to, to talk about the allowable waivers. That would be something that it advances it a little bit more. And then the other thing was to put together a book of these interpretations that would be easily accessible. That sounds. Uh, there, we already published a lot of the stuff on the website. So. Well, it seems to me the more you, you've got that and, and you've got a base in the code for doing it, then we're in, we're in good shape. And uh, it, it should facilitate, I would think, the, the subdivision process, particularly when we're dealing with, uh, with road widths and then when we come to site plan, uh, when we're we uh, uh, saying you can't park on both sides of the road or you, uh, this is a case where you can if we're going to a 32-foot or a 30-foot or 40-foot street as opposed to the 20 or 26-foot. And the, and the same thing, you raise a point in here about driveways, whether if we've got long driveways, uh, how much of it needs to be 20 foot wide and, and how much can come below that if we're not allowing parking alongside of it uh, so that we're not ending up, particularly in some of our special protection areas, with a lot of, of um, impervious surface that we don't need but still is adequate to handle equipment, whether we require pavers at the side or something like that. so. That you don't sink in the mud. One of the problems we're running up against with that, and uh, without getting too far off track here, uh, pavers have become a problem, um, particularly if we look at what needs to go underneath them. Very difficult to, to determine what's an impervious surface and what's not. Um, 
we're going to we would like to see load bearing. We're willing to work with that. We offer that up right now. Uh, where we've run into problems is what constitutes load bearing, um, and whether or not the uh, it's an impervious surface or not. So that that's critical for us. We could put pavers on both sides and then create uh, the substrate underneath that won't let adequate drainage. And we may have two inches of grass on the top, and it looks pretty. It doesn't really serve the purpose of environmental safety. Are there specifications for that too, though? Already outlined, or could there be prepared? Eighty-five thousand pounds is already in the code. Set of. So is, is there a reason that that couldn't be wrapped into the guidelines so that we would all know at the front end of a project and not, and not well, be discovering? I think, I think the, okay. the problem is the 85,000 pounds, that's the, the standard. You have to design for it. One thing that we're, we're doing now is, and, and I think Mike has pointed this out, is that um, Grass pavers or grasscrete, we've, we've thrown that out as, a, as the option to keep us from having the really wide driveways on rural and rustic roads and just to minimize the amount of pavements that you're seeing. But it may not be the best option. It may not be accomplishing what um, fire and rescue needs mm -hmm. it to accomplish, and it's probably not accomplishing what we want That's it to right, accomplish yeah. if it's really load-bearing. And so, uh, again, this is the kind of uh, discussion that, um, that I think we were looking to have before before the standards were set, but um, you know they may end up being exactly the same. I, I was talking to Mike Marie earlier, and it may be that we'll go back and forth and find out that this is the right way to do it, and everything does have to be on a case by case basis. But we really haven't had a chance to have that yeah. conversation even. And I think if we could have that, that comfort, it would it would be good. And I, and also I think when we resolve that, if that's the way it is, then that's the way it is, right. and we'll do it that way. Right, so we're not. We we talk a lot on these individual cases about why the solutions are not good. Yeah. We we don't even have to have that conversation if we've already if we've already you've worked got, this out. You've got that time. settled ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, that could probably help both of us. Okay. Yeah. I have okay. one question. Okay, one question. Yeah, one question. Um, a road that's in a, in an area that is not yet dedicated. In other words, I've seen those roads, and they have cars parked on both sides. This would not affect that, though, right? You'd still have the same problem? Because I remember going to Clarksburg before. Oh, in situations like that, we can take fire lanes, and we have. You uh, can direct the people living there when the road is still not dedicated? Absolutely. Okay. Oh, well, I didn't know that. Yes, we, and we, we've done that in a lot of new developments where we, we required fire lanes along one side of the road so we had access. Um, and then once the road is dedicated, then we've worked out with uh, DOT that they come in and they create a no parking area. Okay, so we're good. we're working hand in hand with DOT on okay, that one. Okay, good. Because I've seen so many of them not. Yeah, we're doing that. We, okay, part of the problem right. we have with that is is that if we don't know about them, it's <laughs> tough. Um, but you know, since we've been participating at at uh, DRC and all that, now we well, pretty I much got that. Please do, please do. Having you at DRC is really important. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad that you're regularly there now. Yes, it's good. Uh, I've got the staff now. <laughs> you're, you're the yes and no guy there. Pretty much. Good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're just not always the no guy. That's <laughs> okay. Always room for negotiation. Yeah. Good. I want to thank you for coming as far as you've come. I thought this was going to be the hardest one today, but you guys are a lot easier than uh, Montgomery DOT. <laughs> but I also see. I wouldn't just, say easier. <laughs> I would say. Never mind, some other word. But, <laughs> but, but Mike, I think, I, think uh, I don't know if everyone knows your, your other background, too, but I was 
interested to know that you have that your environmental hat as well oh yes i have i my master's degree in environmental and waste management so there's there's no surprises here i understand everything we're talking about good you know what we're working towards so that's yes, absolutely a source of comfort absolutely very good all right let's pleasure the board Let's see. What are we doing, Mr. Chairman? Move. Uh, uh, we'd be sending these comments on to the uh, on to the county executive, mm -hmm. uh, or any modification of them that the board wants to make. So moved. Could I get a copy of those? Yes. Oh, thank you. Second. All in favor, say aye. Aye. Opposed. The ayes have it. Motion carried. Be sure Mike has a copy. Great. Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask Lynn Coleman to come on up uh, right quickly. Um, Lynn is getting ready to retire uh, at the end of the day. <laughs> Are you going to walk out the door and get on? Are you going to walk out the door and get on a plane to London? I'm taking. I take it that we really don't. We went over this corridor plan uh, extensively the other day. Is there anyone here whom we have to hear on this today? Uh, I did want, the, the board asked a specific question about a phasing of a new entrance to, and right. I just wanted to bring you up to date, and that's really the key issue. There were two. So, Barbara? And, and you covered that in the staff memorandum, didn't you? Yes, we did. So, gotcha. Does um, anybody have questions about it? We'll wow. approve the staff recommendation. <laughs> uh, I think we ought to get her out of here on a high note. <laughs> second that. The... Approval of the staff recommendation has been made and seconded. Thank you. Is there any discussion of it? Better not be. All, <laughs> all in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? The ayes have it. Congratulations, Thank you. Thank you for all your hard work. Now, you see uh, the rest of the staff. Did you see how easy that was? <laughs> Of course, they might relate to the items, a couple of items before that, and you be scared to death, so you really can't tell. Right? <laughs> All right, we're ready for the work session on the German Sound plan. And we're talking about transportation and density today. And I know there are people here who've been waiting urgently for that. If you want to come on up close, um, we'll get you into it. Go ahead. Okay. Um, just so we can move along quickly, uh, could you give us an idea perhaps of some focal issues that you want us to particularly to attend to? Um, or should we, uh, you know, proceed with the um, urban design recommendations and then transportation? I, we're just trying to get a sense of how we could I, use I your think, time. I think going with design first okay. uh, would be good. Okay. And then um, let me just make uh, one small housekeeping announcement that um, we have we have three more work sessions scheduled. Um, the next one will be October, uh, Monday, October 6th, which will be about uh, properties on the west side of I-270, the town center in that vicinity, uh, Mark Station. We'll have a uh, work session with Montgomery College on their issues on Monday, October 20th, and then on Thursday, October 30th, we'll have the final discussion of the properties on the east side of 270 and staging. Um, and some of the transportation um, discussion will probably also connect with the staging um, discussions. Okay, Karen. Okay. 
Uh, for the record, I'm Karen Kuhn-Morris, uh, the Urban Design Division. Uh, our approach to the urban design guidance of this plan has been to develop an overall concept first with principles uh, embodied in the area-wide recommendations section. And then uh, we've had subsequent uh, specific design guidance on the properties in the districts. And what we're going to be presenting to you today is uh, revisions to those area-wide uh, guidance principles in response to the public testimony that we all heard uh, several weeks ago. And so this PowerPoint presentation is like an overview to those uh, revisions. And the whole packet of revisions are in attachment B in your packet. So if you get to attachment B in your, your packet for this work session, you can follow along very quick, easily with all the language changes and the additions that we are adding to, to uh, address community concerns. Um, Suffice it to say that uh, Germantown needs this plan and the design guidance that we're recommending to really strengthen the sense of place and deal with the, uh, the large wide roads and expanses uh, parking areas and to take it into a transit-oriented type of community, really changing the direction of Germantown. Um, the, the plan has a design framework plan in, in this that's illustrated here on, on your screen. And it's been developed to respond to really the objectives of the master plan, to maintain the jobs, to add housing, to strengthen the town center, to create mixed-use centers along the, um, the uh, uh, I-270 corridor, create a series of, of spaces. And this concept plan illustrates this by in color, showing the different kinds of hierarchy of places. We have the highest density here at the transit station, which is at 2 FAR. We have 1 FAR for the rest of the town center, which is in pink. And it steps down to the west uh, over in here, which is the west end next to the historic district. And then along the I-270 corridor, the mixed-use communities on either side are densities of 1 FAR, stepping down to 0.75 FAR as you proceed up towards Clarksburg. We also have in our design guidelines um, uh, guidelines that deal with street connections, with the uh, open space plan, a hierarchy, a variety of open spaces, and then a lot of design guidelines that will deal and improve with the identity. Let me ask a question at this point, if I might, Ms. Kuhn. Suppose you've tentatively laid out some targeted densities for the different colors. Suppose the board decides that we'd like to go up a little bit or go down a little bit. Would that change your overall recommendations on the design guidelines, or are they flexible enough that you could adjust the design guidelines yeah, it, to if, the reflect they're the flexible. in density? They're flexible. If you, for instance, decided to do something um, differently over here in the west end or over here on the east side, uh, and it was a a, like a two, for instance, a 2FAR over on the east side, well, we would then take this color, which represents a 2FAR, and we apply it to, to the side, for instance, hypothetically. So then the design standards that you're generally thinking for a 2FAR project would migrate yeah. along with the change. Yeah, whatever the board direction takes this, we will be adapting and responding to that with graphics. Um, this is our, our staff recommendation to you. Um, it is, I think, a valuable to just look for a moment at what was done in the 84, 89 plan. And if you can see, this is a different scale than this map, but here is the uh, CSX line. And this plan identified the town center as going from the CSX tracks over just, uh, you know, to the properties at the edge of the Quarter Cities Transitway. And whereas the our plan takes 
uh, from the, the CSX, um, oops, let me go back one, CSX rail line here, we really define the town, the core town neighborhood from uh, Wisteria uh, and extends it on beyond the transit station over to the cinemas and the restaurants that are on this side of um, the, uh, the transit station area. Um, also, uh, along the core, along 270, this plan considered all single uses, employment uses. Um, and our plan creates uh, mixed-use communities uh, organized around, of course, the corridor city's transitway stations. So we're bringing mixed use into this uh, previous employment corridor. And then finally, uh, this plan never even recognized the historic district location, whereas our plan uses it, uh, identifies it, and, and has a density response to um, the adjacency to the historic district. So I think uh, the the new um, 2007 or 2008 plan is much more responsive and contextual than uh, what was done back in uh, 1989. Uh, we did receive a mixed um, public support for the plan. We heard a lot of, of uh, com concerns from the public about uh, lack of hierarchy of places, uh, you know, too much change is being proposed here. Uh, really, that all came out, I think, in comments about the buildings are too tall, which you can relate to, translate into density is too much. Um, and I also felt, I heard a lot about compatibility concerns, the building's too tall and incompatible. Um, and we all sat and listened to this testimony, but these are, I think, I'm summarizing really what I thought we heard them say. And our response to all of this is to make revisions to this area-wide uh, design guidelines section, which, again, if you open up attachment B, I'll take you through very quickly our recommendations. Um, we do want to strengthen the overall design quality and character um, and bring forward the historic, cultural, and nature-oriented themes. And we're doing that on page, um, on, really on the first page of your attachment and uh, by adding new language to the document on, uh, on page 10 and then also new language to the document on page 15. And that is in your attachment. Uh, really, uh, the, the new language is in italics at the bottom of the page. I'd say should instead of shall, I think, don't you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can make... Any uh, editorial changes, yeah. uh, Commission Chairman? I, I'm just trying to think. Um, if you think we shouldn't use the word should throughout, we can um, recommend Well, I'm, I'm, I'm more, shall is much more directive. Uh, and um, I think we're, we're trying to get people, or we're trying to give ourselves and also the applicants who come in with specific projects, enough flexibility uh, that they can suggest something to us better than we thought of when we were when we were doing this. On the other hand, if yes. they propose to, to depart from what we are suggesting, they need a good reason for doing it, which right. to me is what should imply. Mm -hmm. Shall yeah. means that they can't depart from it That's without right. us mm -hmm. going back and changing our standards, but should means mm -hmm. they should follow the standards unless there is a good reason to depart from it, in which case we would like to believe it's thoroughly on the record and that it's positive. That's what it means to us now. We won't always be here. So if that's the case, if we have such a very specific interpretation of should, then I would move that we define 
the word should in a footnote, which I think at the last hearing we said we wanted to do away with footnotes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not prepared to debate with you, the commissioner, the meaning that the word is. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I've debated enough stuff today. Yeah. So. Yeah. Did you have a comment that you wanted to make? Okay. No, no. Uh, so I, I take it that where we are saying should, we should substitute shall? No, 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 the reverse. The reverse. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I missed that. You should, should. do should. We should. Okay, we, sh we shall. Proceed. Or you shall do should. Because we I, shall proceed. But I do have a question where you... But not always necessarily. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Chairman. Go ahead. Uh, it's a problem with long days. My attention to protocol tends to decline with time. So, uh, you're making these changes, and uh, from what I remember having read them carefully last night, because I thought a lot of work went into them, is where you're making the design changes and there were concerns about density. I didn't read you as changing the density recommendations, but rather being applying more sensitivity or applying standards that you felt that would make yeah. the density more compatible with a sense of a comfortable or livable community. Basically. Yes, that's true. We are going to be talking about specific densities in the subsequent sections on right. specific properties. These are the overarching principles, urban design principles that will apply area-wide. Okay. Um, we also heard a testimony that we uh, were lacking in the hierarchy of places that we had an overall same level of density throughout, and we're recommending that we address that by having the addition of this compact centers, um, and this diagram is, uh, represents really the new urbanism transect where you put the density right in the center of the transit station. And uh, it was created originally many years ago by a, a designer called, uh, named Peter Calthorpe, who has really created uh, the concept of transit-oriented community. So we're not original in this, we're applying <laughs> this principle. And we would be taking this diagram and, and that's what would inform us with making decisions on how to uh, cluster and concentrate development at the transit stations, each one of these. Um, what about, what's about the scale on those uh, blocks that you're showing in the diagram on the right-hand side? Um, we are considering uh, short block lengths as being walkable, and they range in 250 to 350. And, and we do think this is a flexible guideline. This is not a rigid thing. Um, we are also... Karen, can I ask you something? Mm -hmm. Go back to that a minute. Um, it would be helpful to me if you did the whole transect and not just where you end up, kind of where you start, because then there's a, a context mm -hmm. to this, which is much larger. We're, we're, if you just stick with this, we're leaving a lot of neighborhoods out. And they, they should be considered. Mm -hmm. However they're going to be considered, they should be considered. In, as part of that transect. This is a perfect place mm -hmm. to do that, I think. Yeah, we have about, I think, seven different districts, and the transects across them are different um, relationships. So we were doing this one as more of an overarching principle, and then when we get to the specific districts, we could do that transect as it applies to the specific. Well, what I'd like to see, the transect starts from the rural and goes to the very urban. Oh, you're port, talking and about. You're, you're, you're starting at the end. And what uh -huh. I'd like to do for the master plan, the whole master plan, is see a mm -hmm. transect overlay, because I think it's very helpful and useful. Okay. Yes, we'll add that. 
I think that might be helpful. On the other hand, this is a sector plan. This is this is solely for the the corridor along 270. We're not going out to the edge of Germantown. Mm -hmm. uh, well, the then, the sector plan. Yeah, maybe maybe at the beginning the of the sector plan, there might be uh, a a context setting. I guess uh, what we could show here right is the single-family <coughs> homes that are the on the outside edge. Of this. That, I mean, that's yeah. a good that's a, a a good refinement of that and a correction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So thank you. So so maybe maybe just uh, in the I think it it would be useful, uh, particularly when we're doing these sector plans. Uh, is to uh, have a, an early page uh, or two that says this is the context. You know, this is part of the old Germantown master plan, and we're not doing the stuff outside this corridor, but here's how it fits yes. into it. I mean, it, it's like that's the heart, and how are the mm -hmm. capillaries getting to the heart? I mean, it all eventually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Connects whether we're dealing with it out there or not, we're going to be someday. Okay, good point. Um, moving along, uh, we are uh, again to address the community's concern about uh, the change in character. We've strengthened language for the street-oriented development. This is, of course, the principle that you know you bring the buildings to the street and make a building wall and de-emphasize de parking and emphasize the pedestrian realm. Um, and we're going to add this picture to this caption that says achieve street-oriented development. And another example of that is Bethesda Avenue down in the bottom of the photograph here. But we would be applying this, this, this principle to each one of these districts uh, so we would have street-oriented de development throughout as an overall recommendation. We're also um, addressing the community's concerns that this is a big change. But by the way you add uh, retail and restaurant uses, you can really influence and bring about change in a much more attractive and pedestrian-friendly way. So again, we're changing our language to emphasize the positive characteristics that come with change and the activation of streets with retail storefronts and provision of wide sidewalks with cafes. These are the, the quality, design quality elements that come with change that can be positive. And again, we'll be applying this, this principle to mainly to the uh, places where retail is likely to come, which is the town center area and in the core of these metro of, of these transit station areas. Um, perhaps most importantly, we're adding a section called building form and architectural facade design. This was not in this section before, and uh, this is a section that tries to address the concerns with um, heights and 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 impacts of uh, tall buildings. We're saying we should be addressing building mass and, and um, informed by having step backs in the buildings, having narrow building footprints, and also having uh, facade treatments that de-emphasize the horizontal bulk of a building by articulation of the facade. Uh, on this section of building heights, we are We've rewritten that to emphasize the stepping down. Again, uh, Mrs. Mr. Alfandre, this is your concern about the transect, um, that you have building heights that are taller in the core and that you step down towards the, the edge to single-family communities on the edge. Uh, and that needs to be, um, I think, greater emphasis in, in our text. Um, 
So that's why we're, we're adding this uh, section, which we hope addresses that concern. Yeah, it, it might be helpful there just to even have another diagram that, that illustrates that on, that on that page other than the uh, photograph. Okay. You'd like another diagram, sorry, the transect diagram? Yeah, maybe so. Okay. So, uh, and, and that, I, yeah, Sue. I, I, I just wanted to just confirm that, that it would be in the context of how um, building step backs uh, give a different perception of height um, because we did hear mostly about the issue of height, that, that, that there was a fear about we don't want Germantown to be this tall building impersonal place. And mm -hmm. um, we do feel that the architectural treatment of having these step backs um, helps to um, uh, min minimize that, that effect. And um, we also uh, feel that there is a, um, uh, you know, there, there are many values to having taller buildings and, and varied height buildings as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, can I just get a better sense from you perhaps what, what we might illustrate in terms of this diagram? Well, I was I was thinking of, a, of an, uh, where's the other, the slide that you just had uh, there? Mm -hmm. um, where you've got the caption of step-down buildings toward neighbors. Uh, what I was suggesting there is, is maybe just a diagram that sort of shows a cross-section okay. of uh, the area so that it, it indicates that the, that the higher buildings are at right. the center. Uh, and as you come down to the residential neighborhoods, you're uh, providing the, uh, the other uh, uh, you know, compatible scale uh, mm -hmm. with the neighborhood. Uh, uh, there's another reason for saying this, and, and uh, uh, because at the um, uh, work session that we had with Fed Committee on uh, Monday, and we're coming back to them with some recommendations next time, uh, they've agreed that we don't have to have a height limit in the TMX zone. At least they've tentatively agreed that for that for the moment. Uh, and but that um, what we uh, do need uh, are some standards in the zone for establishing height. Uh, and uh, if we're using the optional method, of course, we're tying the zone to the plan. So if we've got height recommendations in the plan, uh, while they're not, you know, iron binding uh, on the applicant, at least it shows the sort of thing that we're talking about. So that. Uh, if you're talking about uh, the character of our centers, um, we've got a diagram in the plan that essentially says heights mm -hmm. tent rather right. than. And, and that will be useful um, very, to, yeah. to make that uh, not only to um, enhance our design guidelines, but that helps to, um, uh, I guess, uh, explain what the intention of the TMX zone would be in, right. Ger in Germantown. Um, right. You know, we will be mm -hmm. looking at these not just as sort of academic exercises, but how, right. how it would would play out through Germantown. Okay, great, thanks. And and also, if we if we got something like this, when we go back to the council with this discussion, it might be helpful mm -hmm. uh, to take this along and and say this is the kind of thing we're talking about. Yeah, and we also will have specific building heights in the specific districts on the properties. Um, and they'll be flexible and, and, and trying to uh, not lock us into, you know, feet, number of feet and inches. Right. 
Um, but moving along, um, we're going to be adding uh, this um, guideline to say that we should be responding to views and vistas. And in the district's discussion, we will have a, a layout of, of each district that will point out the important views and vistas that we should be responding to architecturally. Um, parking is, is uh, always a, a big issue. And uh, how we are handling the parking is going to be extremely important because this, this amount of density that we're proposing for Germantown will result in structured parking uh, to accommodate it. And so we're saying, we're adding a, a language and it's in italics on your um, attachment eight under the parking section. We're making a statement that says the minimum parking requirements should be considered the maximum because we're trying to, to not over park this place, especially with structured parking. And this parking policy to, to minimize the amount of parking is also consistent with what I hear the TMX zone is doing to say use shared parking as a policy. Because that also has the effect of, of providing the appropriate amount of parking but not excessive So parking. the minimum in each zone? The minimum parking requirement for each use is the maximum. Is the maximum. Can you do better than that? I guess not in the master plan. Well, um, <laughs> I, I, we have to meet the code requirements. I have some concern with that, just just in that I don't believe, um, at least from what most developers that I know have said, that the retailers who you want to occupy a space have caught up with that mentality. So the concern I have is whether we're going to have some beautiful spaces and people aren't going to want to inhabit them, and what we're going to hear back is that there's not enough parking. So, and I don't know that there's necessarily an answer for that. In, in this plan, but I wonder to what extent there has to be she, some sort of communication, education program, because otherwise we'll be moving towards our vision and there won't be retailers who have accepted that. Now, maybe I'm wrong, maybe in the last couple of years, if someone else knows and can share their wisdom with me, that would be great. But I think what's happening is things are changing and the retailers and the financial investors are probably the, the last groups to try to make this change. The, um, I'm thinking of Clarington over in Arlington. The Arlington board, County Board had this very same issue when they uh, were approving Clarington. And they basically told Whole Foods and uh, EYA, who did the market commons, that they wanted one space per unit, period. And, and, and Whole Foods does not have five spaces per thousand over there. And they approved it, and it's a tremendous success. Um, I, parking is full, and it's, but it's not a, it's not, it's not impossible to find parking spaces over there. Commissioner I live Parker, nearby are there, you, and are you even on busiest sure days. No, I'm just saying. If I, I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board. No, I'm on board with the vision. I just want to make sure that we're not mm -hmm. so ahead with our vision that then we hear mm -hmm. people don't want to occupy the space. I, I would love to know that people will mm -hmm. rush to yeah. get in. That's what I hope. Yeah. You, you have more expertise than I, so tell no. me. Yeah, you hit him over the head. Yeah, I, I would um, say that. Uh, I just, I just had a question though. You mentioned Whole Foods and. This is the part I always have trouble with. If you're if you're buying something small and you come out and you know that's fine, but if you're buying bags of groceries or something, a, a turkey, <laughs> how does that work? I mean, I would never shop at a place like that if I were going to carry a lot of stuff. If I'm just running in to get a sandwich or three things to take home, fine. But how does it work? How do you convince a grocery store? 
I think what I think when my commissioners wants to testify. No, I just want to answer. Sue and I have gotten in the habit of actually getting on the red line and going to Tenley Town to the Whole Food Market there, which is structured parking to do a weekly bit of shopping and then getting back on the subway. I don't think there's a and it's it's very convenient, very convenient. As long as you don't eat anything. And you get home quick. So the fish doesn't. Well, no, but Gina. And then you have food delivered to the house, right? It's a it's a very good question. That was why I was facetiously asking Commissioner Presley, because at some point we do have to make that decision. I was going to ask the chairman, where do the where does the parking in the master plan bisect with design guidelines of the mass plan. Is it in the zone itself? Uh, the parking is is in the zone or in the parking ordinance uh, mm -hmm. part of the zone, parking requirements of the zone. Um, so the best we can do with design guidelines is just keep them vague enough so that they match? I, I think that's probably right. Mm -hmm. the, the only problem I have here is with the, with the, uh, uh, the term saying that the minimum is the maximum. Um, what? Uh, what? Well, yeah. <laughs> to make more. What, what? What it seems to me is that what we're saying is that if you're going to go above the minimum, you've got to justify it in uh, some way. Um, we're um, we're getting ready to send this to council, so we're going to have to light on something. Simply say what you said instead of saying the minimum is the maximum. Be specific that we're we're aiming to keep all areas at the minimum as prescribed in the zone. And if anyone wants to go above that, there has to be sufficient justification to warrant. But you just gave it. The retailers are way ahead of the game. No, I'm saying I don't. You're supposed to tell me that's not true anymore. And well, it's we not, heard one example where it's not. We're so, going in circles. So are you saying make it make it hard and fast? I think so, because the council is going to water what, it down. Regardless of what the code says, then, we need to say that we're only going to approve the minimum. Well, uh, the code uh, states it always in terms of minimum requirement. It could state a maximum requirement, but uh, we've not got there yet. Basically, what, by saying the minimum is the, the maximum, what we're saying is we're sending a signal that we expect to meet the code requirements, uh, but we're not expecting them to exceed code requirements. Yeah, why don't we say it that way? <laughs> that, you know, that parking should not exceed the minimum requirements of the code. I'd rather say that. Yeah, that's basically what we're saying. Yeah. Um, so should I make that change? The, the, the parking should not exceed the minimum requirements of the code? Yeah. Okay, and then also we have uh, passed out to you uh, some additional language for attachment B that Brooke Farquhar passed out to you. I, I have one other thing that I want to uh, ask about on this on this page, uh, and that is um, we've got a statement in here. It says evaluate the feasibility of a parking district in the town center to promote urban development by consolidating parking facilities. Mm -hmm. I'm. I'm not comfortable with sort of wishy-washy statements like evaluate and consider. Uh, if we want a parking district there, if, uh, we should say uh, the county should establish a parking district. 
if we don't want a parking district there or we're not sure or if we think that uh, uh, consolidation of parking uh, among uh, different uh, uh, projects should be encouraged uh, or should be, uh, uh, yeah, well, but, uh, but most we can do there is encourage probably uh, with uh, the uh, uh, development. But um, we could simply say support the provision. Or be supported, of, yeah. Support the provision of a parking district. And, and that allows the county government to proceed to determine if they're going to have one or not, and if they are, we're going to support it? Well, uh, there are two, two aspects mm -hmm. of this. One is a parking district. The other is uh, a, uh, a group of property owners get together and decide to uh, provide a joint parking uh, facility, a private parking facility. But what we're really encouraging, it seems to me, is either a parking district or uh, a private um, uh, consolidated parking uh, so that we get joint joint use and if people want to, yeah. Good. We got somebody here from DOT who will. Yeah, we do. Gary Aaron mentioned. Yeah, Gary. Um, I don't want to belabor the point, but um, as we had said elsewhere with parking districts, you know, overall, uh, we, we have to look at each district itself from its financial viability. Yeah. And, in fact, we're looking for on the plan where you're going to put the big P. Where's the parking go? Yeah. And we need land. So if you're going to say parking district, whether public or private people build parking, I need to know on the plan where it's located, who owns it, and it should be in public hands. Uh, if it's going to be a parking district. Yes. Yeah, if, it, if it's going to be privately managed, you know, if if GW comes out and sets up colonial parking, um, then uh, as, uh, as a part of a development project uh, and they create enough parking space in their garage that it can, han it can handle the parking needs of two or three projects, that's, that's great, it seems to me. Uh, I don't know. Dan? Yeah, for the record, Dan Hardy, Transportation Planning. I think Gary's absolutely right in terms of how we've established parking lot districts in the past, which are all 1950s-era uh, yeah. establishments leveraging county land. I think in White Flint, we're beginning to explore the possibility of could there be kind of a condominium association. Yeah, that's the district. sort of thing. Could we have something whereby it's uh, it, it could be privately operated but still or privately owned but still operated by the county? So we're looking for things. I think we do want to encourage both. We definitely want to encourage shared parking. Um, by the private sector, and that's something I was going to mention that we will be looking at in the Comprehensive Zoning Ordinance Rewrite. You know, TMX is proceeding a little bit ahead of the Comprehensive Zoning Ordinance Rewrite, but we're also looking to say how can the public be involved in making that happen? How can the public sector mm -hmm. be involved in making that happen? So that's how we got to the recommendation that we should be, whether you call it studying or encouraging it. You know, we did ask the county council asked us to study this uh, a year and a half ago, but there was no funding for that study. Uh, we know that there's still interest uh, on both the executive branch and ours in finding out how to make these more progressive parking management strategies move forward so that we have both the hammer of the code as well as the um, flexibility to um, do things that are more progressive than the code. So, I, frankly, I would, I would, I appreciate what uh, the chairman is saying. I think we want to find a way to say we encourage shared parking and uh, um, arrangements to reduce the amount of parking spaces provided, so that we are not over parking Germantown. 
but that we want the flexibility to continue to be responsive to the county council interest in looking at different ways to do it. Yeah, if we said uh, 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 encourage um, uh, uh, joint parking facilities uh, or, uh, or, sh or rather shared parking, uh, encourage shared parking facilities uh, and um, uh, if, uh, if feasible, um, uh, public parking. That's, that's good. It could be a park, public parking as opposed to a, a formal parking lot district. Yeah. Right. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good. Um, and I want to point out to you the attachment uh, that we just handed, the memo that we handed out to you that has additional language to deal with interim surface parking. This is the memo that, um, this was short memo we just handed out that says that uh, we'll also have to deal with interim development and we'll have end up with some surface parking. So we're adding a statement that says surface parking shall be behind the building to the side, screened in some fashion. Yeah. Um, then also we're, uh, we're trying to get to the issue again of community character by our, our strengthening our, our language on public amenities. And we're doing that with rewriting the, the uh, amenity guideline and also adding a, an amenity list. And that is uh, handed also a part of that memo that we had just passed out to you that has the amenity list for Germantown. It's now entitled Appendix 15. Uh, Mr. Mr. Chair, before we get there, mm -hmm. could we just change uh, one of the sentences in here? Could the second sentence begin, the sense of place should be enhanced by public amenities, um, including but not limited to fountains, comma, seating, comma, movable tables and chairs, comma, lighting pavements, artwork and extensive plantings. It's kind of an awkward sentence and it mm -hmm. kind of gets lost. But if you if you reverse the um, okay. order of the sentence, it, it'll make sense, I mm -hmm. think. Okay, so the sense of place the sense shall of place should be. I think we said should instead of shall. Mm -hmm. The should sense be. of place should be enhanced by public amenities, including but not limited to okay. fountains, comma, seating, comma, Movable tables and chairs, comma, because seating and tables and chairs could be two different things. Mm -hmm. And the rest You're is right. just as it was. Oh, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. So the sense of place sh should be um, enhanced, by enhanced by the public, public amenities right. that include but are not limited to. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Okay, okay. and then and we're also adding perform, uh, performing um, programming of public spaces to be able to encourage that as an amenity that adds a great deal of life and activity. Uh, we're bringing forward into the area-wide recommendations um, resources, historic and cultural resources that are back hidden in the appendixes 10 and 11. And we're bringing these forward into area-wide to again to, to really infuse uh, this section with more references to the history and the culture so that uh, when development comes, they'll have, be able to find these references and, and, and the intent is that New development will use cultural, historical, and nature-oriented themes in the redevelopment, and that will enhance community identity. So we're bringing forward these graphics, the one, um, uh, the historic resources, and also the one that shows uh, our parks. There's a series of, of cultural themes or historic themes in our parks that, again, we're back in the uh, appendixes, and we're bringing this graphic forward with all of these um, numbers are representing themes, and we'll get that text into this section as well. All just get, get to strengthen the sense of community identity. How, how are we going to deal with that, though? 
the, the, the concern that there's lack of community identity? I, I think the... Just the, the way you just described? I think the sense that uh, we heard in the testimony was that the history and the cultural resources were back in an appendix and nobody's going to look at them. So we wanted to bring them forward into this section, which are overall principles. The principle is to, uh, you know, respond to integrate history and culture into the development. I mean, that's one part of it, maybe. Well, I, I think mm -hmm. I think one of the things that, that this master plan will ultimately do is educate people, both the the development community and the residents, that there are a lot of uh, cool things and very interesting aspects to their community that they might not be aware of. And the more times that we give uh, opportunities to reinforce that, draw upon those, expand those, and use the master plan as that vehicle to do so, um, we feel that we're going to. And, and, it, and there are some listing of amenities, um, area-wide amenities on that list that can help to reinforce that as well. Some a walking tour, some some. I think this needs some meat somehow. Okay. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Um, I mean, these are all good things, and, and I'm not suggesting anything here other than I don't think that's going to go far enough in, okay. in this particular plan. It's going to be very important okay. to if really nail that identity, as it is going to be in all master plans. Okay, if you'd like, one. yeah, we could come back um, that, with just fine. this section, just the historical yeah. cultural. I'm sure our uh, historical staff would like to do that and give a little more meat to it so that you One can of the see things that. they could consider... Um, Claire, maybe you could consider doing a vernacular display of, of you know, what architecture in this type, part of the county. All of that's helpful because we could get actually get some buildings starting to be built to look like that too. Mm -hmm. Excellent, good suggestion. Mm -hmm. Okay, moving along, um, we also heard testimony that this plan lacked uh, sufficient community facilities, and I think the reference was really to the schools given the amount of growth that's being proposed. And that question of school adequacy is going to be addressed by Montgomery County Schools in subsequent sessions. But we did suggest that in our section on, on, under community facilities that we really list the facilities. This is a different way of organizing it because this didn't come out clearly in our, in our section originally. There's four uh, new public facilities that we're recommending in this plan the family-oriented urban park, which Brooke will be talking about later, the renovation of the town commons, which is this area right here, which is really minimally maintained and under-programmed, uh, the redevelopment of the uh, District 5 police and fire station. It's a big housing opportunity there. Um, and then also the provision of um, the new urban recreation center, which is on the east side. These need to be uh, listed to get more clarity that there's really quite a, a number of facilities being proposed. Um, on the connections or the transportation section of our urban design guidelines, um, the testimony that we got was ranged what, from... Are you moving us into the transportation stuff yes, now? Yes, I am. Uh, before you do that, uh, go back to page three of your original staff report. Uh, where uh, It talks about... Um, uh, modifying the text for building heights and transitions. Mm -hmm. um, we uh, we can review this again when we deal with the town center and with the other uh, buildings, but we're talking about uh, the um, locating the tallest buildings in Ger in Germantown, 
in the in the town center. Um, I think when we do this, we really need to have um, more than just the tenting idea. Uh, why are we saying 10 to 15 stories at the town center? I don't have any idea. Okay, I was um, uh, prepared to really get into that discussion of, of building heights in the district. In the district. In okay, the district. I'm ha I just. These, yeah. I'm I'm happy to do that as long okay. as. Yeah, We've got that flag. It's something we want to do. Yeah, that's where I think it would be yeah. more specific to the and, and before we go into transportation, I know there have been people here waiting. Let me see if there's anybody here who wants to um, harangue us for a few minutes on, on any of the uh, design aspects that we've been talking about. Excuse me, Mr. Chairman. There, yeah. there are some transportation-related design guidelines, okay. but we haven't wrapped up that set, the urban design section okay. just yet. Okay, good. Okay. Go um, ahead, then. Moving on to the transportation, or the section called Connections, um, on your attachment B. Before we get to that page, there's just one thing I want to remind you of. Black Rock is written as one word, and you have it oh. as two words. It has Thank a capital you. R in the middle, but it is one word. Thank you. Not grammatical, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, under the connections section, we, we've heard uh, a number of people say that, you know, they, they didn't quite understand our transportation recommendations and other people specifically opposed to some of the street connections that we were making. Um, and then we also heard that we didn't really emphasize enough the pedestrian environment and, and the transit access. So this is, uh, we're recommending that we bring forward um, uh, this, a map called the street network, which really illustrates the, the grid that we're proposing in these districts, uh, the streets that we're saying are missing that need to be created to make an interconnected street system. And, and the principles the, of the, the transportation section is to create an interconnected street system, to help reduce the congestion at the intersections, and to make walkable blocks. And we also had some testimony about the block links. Um, and then I mentioned earlier that we have a recommendation that we do think is flexible because we say such as blocks 20, 250 to 350 feet in length. And then we also recognize that in longer blocks, we'll have mid-block crossings. So we're not hard and fast about this recommendation. And we know it has to land specifically on uh, the blocks that we're dealing with. Um, Can I ask you before you go on there? Sure. Um, just on the diagram to the right, it, they're, they're incongruous. That one, you got your arrow on? Over, no, go back to the right. Down mm -hmm. below at 118, over to the right. That blue, the blue underneath that, that bears no relation to a grid pattern. Uh, this is Montgomery College. This oh, is, uh, this it will then, right won't it? Yes. Okay, well said. Okay. And um, suffice it to say that we'll, you'll hear a great deal of this discussion from our transportation oh, uh, staff. Interesting. Um, Do you want to just scratch a little grit in there on it? <laughs> uh, yes. Um, okay. So. Uh, anyway. Gary, is, is the uh, transportation department content with this this kind of an approach? Um, yes, we like grids. Um, Good. We like smaller blocks for pedestrian special improvements. So, uh, but you know, I don't, I don't know, and we can talk about later. I'm sure with Dan's presentation, that uh, that how much of a benefit it does for traffic congestion. Now, it's not necessarily a substitute for it. Okay. Well, moving along, we also are going to add 
to respond to the sense that they, we didn't do a sufficient or we need to strengthen community character in this plan, we're adding a map called Street Character, where we're identifying the boulevards of um, six-lane divided highways, the boulevards of 118 and, and Middlebrook Road and, and uh, 355. These are the six-lane divided highways that have an illustrated character or cross-section that we're showing in the plan. We have um, main streets such as uh, Century Boulevard and Wisteria, which are uh, streets that are going to be much more pedestrian, walkable type streets, so the narrower right-of-ways. And then we have some specialty streets such as the uh, Greenway that's being proposed along Crystal Rock with a cross-section illustrating that we're actually narrowing down the Today it's 120 foot of right of way and we're narrowing down the, the lanes and shifting them really over to the side and creating a linear park that goes from the heart of the town center all the way up to connect to the Black Hills Regional Park up here. Um, and then also of course we have our transit way which is in, the, in black shown here uh, under this grid and that we have uh, again a cross section showing the character and the center line alignment of the transit way there. And this is important to begin to create cross-sections that are pedestrian-oriented in their uh, orientation, so the crossing of them is important. And this correlates to what we presented to you, the cross-sections that we presented in the road code last week. So we're in, in sync with that. Um, we heard the board say that there was a concern about access to parks. I think that was mentioned by one of the commissioners. And then again, the community, just this general sense uh, that we needed to strengthen the sense of place and, and character. Um, and so uh, what we have here, we think we can respond to those with our open space plan and calling out for a variety of different places um, in, in the, um, the town center and within the corridor. Brooke Farquhar is here from park planning and stewardship and she's going to speak to describing the open space plan and the bigger picture of access to these parks. Okay. Right. Um, well, we want to make sure that everyone in Germantown can get to a great open space without getting in their car, and we already have a terrific uh, park and trail system here on a regional level with Bicycle Beltway and the parks all around Germantown. So the challenge here really is how to get um, the people living in the center of Germantown to the parks and to their destinations. So we've had a very collaborative process here with the planning department to develop a comprehensive plan uh, for our parks and open spaces and how they connect and that includes the Crystal Rock Greenway that Karen already mentioned and walking loops and trails along natural areas among other things. The next slide. Here are some examples of different types of trails and sidewalks that are proposed. The open space plan reflects how we're changing the way we plan urban parks and open space today. Now we're putting the parks where the people are in the middle of mixed use centers. It's not to say that the outlying more regional type parks aren't needed, but those are certainly needed for more programmed uh, ball fields and that sort of thing, as well as um, more of a nature experience. Uh, but in our urban areas, we need places for people to, get, to gather and relax, to socialize, and to get exercise. So in the town center, we've uh, developed specific sites for these, uh, because of the multiple ownership in the town center, it was important to land these 
spaces, and whereas in the uh, newer mixed-use centers along the I-270 corridor and the West End, we're designating floating symbols because we can best situate those during mm -hmm. the project plan review, during the development review process. Uh, the plan recommends a variety of open spaces, including urban public parks uh, for a mix of uses that are family friendly, town commons with flexible lawn areas for unplanned or formal gatherings, smaller public plazas and gathering places where people can sit and socialize outside, as well as natural open spaces to enjoy nature. What's new um, here is that we're adding some more design elements to create more attractive and useful parks and open spaces. Can I ask spaces. you something, Brooke? Yeah. Could you go back a minute? Um, the, you've started a, a hierarchical list, it looks like, under the recommendation. Is it, is it possible to you know, be specific with that in the master plan and even just some suggestion of what what a urban park would look like? What yes. A, what a green common. Just can you give some more um, definition to mm -hmm. each of those as a hierarchy? Yeah, we certainly can. I can show you where on the plan uh, they're being proposed as well. The pictures are nice, mm -hmm. but, you know, I think it's really helpful if you can differentiate them and you don't have to show exactly where right. they're going to be. But. Right. And in our countywide urban parks plan that we're going to be bringing to you in a couple of months, um, one of the questions is when does a public open space rise to the level of being a public park? And is in that this one of our brown lunch days? What was that you said? Uh, <laughs> oh, green, a green, lunch. green lunch. Yeah. No, but the countywide urban parks plan. Are you plan. leading it? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, in this case, in Germantown, um, we're proposing one new public urban park, and that is to kind of anchor the um, east-west main street of town center, the Century Boulevard. There it is, uh, Karen's pointing out. And we're proposing this be located right next to the Up County Government Center because you already have a lot of use there with families, and it's a civic use. I'm glad to see that. I think that's just exactly the right place. Uh, I was thinking that as I was reading this yesterday, that right now we've got a parking lot in front mm -hmm. of it, and uh, a, a public building really needs a public space and a park in front of it as a, as a way to sort of say this is this is the forum for the community. It would really be a great improvement uh, and, and changes the character of that place. Good, and it, and it will anchor that whole experience. I mean, what we're envisioning here is to is that the, the public realm really is a key part of making this town center succeed. And so having a series of open spaces along it with the new public urban park at the end there, and then as you move uh, east, you have the town center commons, the Black Rock Commons, which is owned by DPWT. And behind uh, the library is the new uh, town center urban park, which is more of a passive park for strolling, that kind of thing. And then as you go down towards the uh, cinema and the transit station, there will be public plazas for waiting to meet a friend or waiting for transit, that kind of thing. So that's the concept for the 
the town center um, uh, open spaces. And then as I mentioned, uh, as, as we get to the other mixed-use centers, we'll be working with each plan that comes along to define exactly where those land. We appreciate your uh, patience in going through all of these guidelines um, because we have been making language changes and additions, and we all we thank, we've done this to, though to address the public testimony and the pu concerns about the character and the change that we're bringing. And with your comments today, we'll integrate those back in to what you've done and what we've asked you. What we're asking you to do is to approve these revisions today with your comments. I will repackage them and, and get them back to you at some point in the, the work session sessions. If, if I could just amend that, we are trying to keep a, a production deadline for our master plan. So um, what we propose to do is to take these revisions and um, uh, begin the, the rewriting of the uh, uh, public hearing draft into the planning board draft. And when we finish the work sessions, we'll have have, you know, added uh, more and more uh, changes in languages so that um, hopefully in early part of December we will uh, present you back with a completely rewritten document for your review. Good. I think this was really helpful for me anyway. I appreciate going through it in the sections and I'm presuming mm -hmm. we're doing that with the other work sessions too. So yeah. It's very helpful. Yeah. You guys did a really good job. Let me ask again if there's anyone here before we start on transportation that wants to comment. Okay. Go ahead, Dan. Great. Thanks. And Karen, if you could bring up the other uh, PowerPoint presentation there. Uh, it's on the bottom there, Germantown to the right, right there. Uh, um, uh, sure. They say sometimes it's good to uh, do things with the hand that you're not used to doing, but we'll switch seats here so I don't uh, try to do the mouse with my left hand. Uh, we sent a memo to you uh, that was attachment C in the packet that asked five questions. Uh, and what we're looking for today is to get uh, not the same level of shall, should approval uh, from the board, but just uh, your general uh, p position and thinking on philosophically where we should be on kind of the big picture questions of Germantown. Unfortunately, the memo that got attached in your packet only answered the first of those questions, and so we've handed out for you uh, just now the uh, complete uh, memo that uh, has the answers to all of those uh, questions, and we'd like to walk through them uh, with you. Uh, the first uh, topic has to do with land use and transportation balance. This is very much the same discussion we just had a couple weeks ago with you on the White Flint sector plan. Um, I will try to be <coughs> brief, therefore, on this discussion and get get right to Q&A. Uh, it is the council practice to make a finding of land use and transportation balance for a larger area, sector plans or master plans uh, like Germantown. The context is really the area-wide balance between land use and transportation. And our intersection analysis or the local area transportation review provides some context. Um, I'd like to walk in a little bit to the uh, policy area mobility review and the LATR, or local area transportation review details. From a policy area mobility review perspective, uh, this is the standard uh, PAMR chart that you've seen before. Um, I'm showing you this slide just to give you context, and then I'm going to zoom in a little bit to explain uh, the geographies that we're talking about in the Germantown plan area. <clears throat> the dashed black line or the black dots show the 1989 Germantown plan, master plan boundary. The solid black line is our current Germantown master plan boundary. And the colors in this map show the three policy areas that we're dealing with here. Uh, the purple is Germantown East, 
the tan is Germantown West and the green is the Germantown town center policy area. On the right is a zoom in on our, on our PAMR chart, and what we are showing here is that we did do a lot of different testing of different alternatives and different horizon years. Um, the, the fact that is of great concern is that uh, today, uh, Germantown East is in what uh, we call uh, acceptable with full mitigation, some call moratorium status. Um, there is a lot of unbuilt uh, but master-planned uh, transportation capacity in the Germantown area, including the Quarter Cities Transitway, including uh, Interstate 270 improvements, including uh, um, Maryland 355 widening, including uh, Mid-County Highway Extended, which we'll talk about a little bit later, which is outside of the plan area, of this plan's area. Um, when we look at all those different things uh, in the plan, and we look at the land use that we've tested for Germantown, we find that the uh, area is will be in balance when the plan comes to fruition. So our uh, recommendation to you is that even though we have some troubles now, for the purposes of the end state of the plan, we can find that this plan is, provides a balance between land use and transportation, recognizing that the challenge is how do we get there, how do we catch up essentially, particularly in Germantown East. Do we have a presumption as to when the uh, transportation that you're considering is actually going to be implemented? Well, we have uh, right now there's uh, uh, the best presumption that we have is the region's constrained long-range plan. And there are basically fiscal assumptions for when each of these improvements come online. I don't have them all uh, in, in my head, but by and large, by 2020, most of these major improvements, I-270 widening, quarter cities, transitway, M83, are assumed to be in place in the region's constrained long-range plan. They all have varying horizon years. Gary Do works on the- DOT agreement on that? For, well, just start with the CCT. I'm really interested well, in that. Well, the CCT, for instance, last night we had a, a public meeting. Um, with the uh, delegates and uh, mayors of uh, Rockville and, and uh, Gaithersburg. And we heard from the Maryland Transit Administration that with the reprogramming, proposed reprogramming and reduction in the, the, the amount of funds in the trust fund, the reduction of a billion dollars, $1.2 billion, that uh, it's likely that the planning phase, the planning phase and preliminary engineering phase uh, of the CCT won't be done until 2017. And at that point, then it could be considered for uh, construction, right away in construction. And so um, uh, even that project, uh, the full 14 miles, you know, might not be under construction until 2020 at the earliest. Um, uh, just beginning construction, not yes. completely constructed. Yes, and that may or may not include section beyond, you know, beyond Metropolitan Grove, depending on how that's phased and how that looks. The, the issue is, is not necessarily just the CCT. The issue is... You know, I don't disagree. We don't disagree, actually, with the PAMR analysis. We, we just think that what's included in the end state and the analysis may not be realistic and that the I-270 project that was referred to um, is over $3 billion, with a B dollars, 30 miles, $3 billion. And it's not likely that that's, you know, fiscally um, viable as it stands right now, and it may not be. So you have in your analysis those projects that I know this is a long-term, this is a plan that lasts for 20 or 30 years, but part of the analysis are those projects that um, may not be very viable. And um, so as a result, you may show that you're in balance, but you're in balance with an unrealistic end state. Can, can I ask if the suggestion would be that we take those projects out of our master plans and say we should not have a 
quarter series transit way or an I-270 widening in the master plan? No, I would no, say no. we look for something more along the lines of a correlation between once those study phases right. are complete in, in terms of staging um, mm -hmm. and maybe looking at w what that means if someone can't proceed because we're saying that the proceeding is contingent on having these things in place because only then is uh, this appropriate with mitigation. And, we're, and that's actually, we could jump right to the last topic in the discussion, which is kind of a preview of the staging discussion that we'll have uh, in a future no, work session. No, I'll let you go but back to how you were going through okay. it. I don't want to take you out of sequence. Gary. It's just that for me to understand this, when I look at PAMR, mm -hmm. I want to know what's really behind it and what, you know, mm -hmm. what the assumptions are. So. What, um, what I think, I'd like to keep these in and keep the balance, but say that um, as far as the CCT is concerned in particular, that we may have to um, move to more creative uh, financing approaches than reliance on state and federal funding, mm -hmm. at least to get it started, uh, which may mean um, uh, sort of design build uh, by the private sector uh, with uh, the uh, or creating a special service district that funds it. I mean, there 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 are more ways to do this, and I think people are thinking about more ways to provide uh, transportation systems than. Um, we have in the past, and I think the economics of it are going to change radically uh, as um, uh, demand for public transportation increases uh, so that um, I think it would be a mistake not to keep it in and to begin to think about alternative ways of financing it. Right. I think that's so. It's a, it's a question of the word feasibility. It's just a question of the feasibility of the timing and the funding of it, not a yeah. question and, of the feasibility of the projects themselves. And how much development should be permitted until the CCT, either east, west, or both, are built? Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and and same thing with the widening. What's the importance of the widening of the I-270 for the express toll lines? Mm -hmm. And and how much of a how much of a development capacity issue is that? And that we're we're looking at trying to look at the the bigger regional picture in the context of a sector plan, and it's a difficult one, because some of those decisions are beyond the control uh, of certainly the developers and others. But, right. But it's important to try to understand the relationship between a certain amount of land use and a certain transportation improvement. Well, let me suggest yeah. that maybe I do go quickly through the presentation, just spend sure. five yeah, minutes trying to summarize them, because we touch on all these things. Did did that? Um, Timing uh, issue about the CCT was that something that MTA um, uh, put on the table? Because yes, um, they did. They, they used did. 2017. Well, you know, a, a week ago or a week or so ago, the the secretary came out with a new funding sure. plan for the proposed, and no one's happy with it for sure, to say the least. And um, there are a lot of ways to look at the CCT for creative financing. I think that's one of the best projects we have to look at that. But the way they programmed it out, they showed money for the planning phase and money for preliminary engineering, which takes it to 2017. 
And that's before you've gotten the f even gone to the federal government and gotten enough money to go into the construction and those other issues. Yes. And they did the same thing with the purple line too. So I mean, it's not one was yeah. taken out of sequence. And obviously, that's not very acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Be because the, those early that early phase of the CCT does have, um, for the most part, the right of way that's needed. It has 40 percent of the 30 to 40 percent of the right of way. I mean, for the whole CCT. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. But but the but Metropolitan yes. Grove segment yes. is is, is it, it, one is that it, has the. Uh, we, we've been able to acquire the the alignment and the city of Rockville as well. Yes. Um, as we talk about uh, the local area transportation review, that's one of the concerns that's been expressed as well in terms of how much congestion at intersections is appropriate to be assuming. Uh, we do recommend that we, as we as we have, and frankly, all of our master plans in the last 15 years, including the 1989 Germantown plan, look at intersection improvements on a case-by-case -case basis reflecting the fact that we are forecasting 20-year needs here. The map that we've shown has said that based on that 20-year need, we do see the need for interchanges along Maryland 55, some kind of grade separation where the little circles are shown. That's a place where we don't see the uh, pragmatic ability to uh, do at-grade solutions or provide a predictable, robust street network to disperse traffic. Although we do recommend that there be some consideration of looking at what Peter Calthorpe would call an urban network uh, at the time that those interchange studies are uh, put forward because there could be a more um, affordable from an infrastructure perspective option, although it would actually be have more land use impacts and would take more space. Uh, we also recognize that policies do evolve. One of the things that frames our discussion on uh, the Germantown master plan is the fact that we are beginning the next uh, range of growth policy discussions uh, to take the county council uh, next spring. Uh, we did want to clarify some text in the master plan regarding Maryland 118. There is a discussion or a statement in the, the plan that says that Maryland 118 should not be widened. Um, I do need to find and actually read the uh, language uh, in the the text that clarifies that we're really talking about we don't want to be just adding turn lanes to solve our congestion problems, but that we recognize there might be safety or multimodal improvements that uh, would actually say pushing the curb back is okay. So we're changing, proposing to change that guidance to the language on uh, page 7 of our memo, which says discourage further expansion of Maryland 118 intersections in the town center unless needed for pedestrian safety, improved bus access, or bicycle access and safety. So I think we agree with the critique in that regard that the statement originally was uh, was a shall statement that was uh, um, too big. How do you propose a widening helps pedestrian safety? Uh, for instance, one thing could be that uh, in, in White Flint we're talking about we really want to take the pike and make it a broader boulevard. So we actually want to make the pike wider in White Flint. But to do that, we're going to have a large median in the center and we're going to, in some places, be We're making the right-of-way wider. Make the right-of-way and, and put the outside curbs. Yeah, one of the challenges in Whiteflint is we want to pick the western curb up and move it west about 25 feet, keep the eastern curb where it is. That, in most layman's terms, is clearly widening the road, even though what we're really trying to do is to widen the right-of-way, get more facilities in there for pedestrian accessibility, be able to do more with buses, 
but still that curb is going to widen. And I think the concern here was that another example would be if we were to get good bus access into the town center quarter city's transitway station, we might need to move curb lines in order to let the buses make those, uh, those turns. Um, one other topic that came up uh, briefly at the board's last workshop session on Germantown was should we be saying let's use congestion to induce a mode shift? Um, and uh, I guess Commissioner Robinson is, uh, is, is either, either, yeah, either, either uh, indicating that he is uh, uh, responsible or uh, is going to weigh in on the discussion. Well, when I read that language, the way you formulated it, I said I wondered if the spirit of Lon Anderson had <laughs> crept in over the transom. <laughs> well, I, I don't think that's what the chairman and I said. I think the chairman okay. and I, we may have said a little bit different that in the interest of getting the urban design we want and if there things get a little more congested than might exist under our traditional models and that induces people to go over and use transit all the better it's not a, it's it's quite it's a difference it's, i don't think we're saying well let's make things more congested for people who use transit i think we're saying if we have a choice between not getting the urban community that we want and having more congestion, we'll probably take a little more congestion and then, by the way, right. let them ride the transit if they don't like sitting in their cars. And that's quite a bit different than I think what you're saying here, which is a conscious effort to force people out of their cars and make them use transit. But I, on to that, I have to add, Let's rinse and repeat because we just we just talked about not getting the transit. So I agree, and I heard the spirit in which that that discussion came up. It was not that we were going to um, forcefully socially engineer here. It was that it made a lot of sense. It was in keeping with our vision, and ultimately we give people the place to walk and what they need, and they will choose that. If they have not no other choice but to sit in their vehicle and stew. Then, then I hope I'm not still on the board when, they, when it comes to fruition. <laughs> so, well, uh, with the play of way financing is available to these days in the overall market, you may not have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I, well, I think we, we, we can rinse and repeat again. I like that one. And look at the funding sources. And I think that's going to—they're going to work together. Can, can I just make one one comment? Um, I I think that you have to remember that transit is buses, for the most part. Yeah. And if you add traffic congestion, although we do want the buses to have queue jumpers and preferential treatments, you're still delaying people on buses. And so we'll have well, to look at what the overall that. effect on the bus operations well, that are. That, that is a concern I have that we didn't even get to yet. You know, I'd like to see on top of these things a bus overlay map with what the routes currently are and what the times are. And I know we're not doing that at this point in time, but, but I'd like to see that because if we're not going to adjust the bus schedules to facilitate all of this too, then we're going to have people um, close enough to others that they can choke somebody on a bus while they're waiting. So yeah. I, I do think that that's, that's really important. It's mm -hmm. just also intertwined, and we've said that before. So. Mm -hmm. Well, we can't, we can't um, turn our eyes away from congestion if at the same time we're not providing any kind of alternatives. Right. Um, so we do have to invest in the, in the public transportation, in walkable communities, and in, in biking facilities so that people have uh, a choice. 
But I think, as, as John said, if we uh, provide all of these things uh, and um, we have those facilities available, it should encourage people to move from congested roadways uh, mm -hmm. onto other uh, techniques of um, uh, transportation. Um, it, and if we do that, as, as it's already been demonstrated, I think, just in the last year, that uh, if the choice is available, uh, increasingly people will use it. Mm -hmm. and I, I, I think that's... Oh, I just couldn't resist saying that I was so moved, and so I moved, and now I haven't moved. <laughs> but... Um, I think that actually is a good segue to the next uh, discussion topic, which is the status of the Quarter Cities Transitway. Um, the fact that uh, one of the big decisions to be made uh, early next spring is the mode for the CCT, whether it is bus or rail. Um, and clearly uh, that mode selection does affect uh, how you plan bus operations to serve the CCT. If, if buses are the CCT, it's a different plan than if the, it's a transfer onto rail. Um, the question was raised, uh, should this plan uh, take a step forward and make a recommendation about the mode for the quarter cities transit way. And we've had many discussions with DOT and with MTA over the last year getting ready for this decision-making process where we said there are a lot of arrows that are pointing towards a, a modal selection for BRT on the CCT. Um, but our staff recommendation at this point is because we have these two separate processes that we do continue to participate in that full vetting of the environmental assessment for the quarter cities transit way and not at this point put a board statement on the record preferring one mode or the other until we've had the public testimony and the full information on that topic. However, we are optimistic that that's something that can be reflected in the um, final plan as these two processes uh, dovetail over the course Yeah, when's of the, the EIS coming out on this? The EA we expect out uh, in November, I believe. I don't know if they had any more information last night on that, um, but that's when we are hoping to, uh, originally as we worked particularly on the Gaithersburg plan, the goal was to have their assessment of the Gaithersburg uh, changes that we're contemplating uh, as a companion piece to their environmental assessment uh, in the month of November. They're about a month and a half behind the purple line. No, actually in the, it was for the, the hearing on the purple line is November. The CCT is still uh, about a month and a half behind the, the uh, purple line. Mm -hmm. Um, behind, right, uh, slower in schedule. So the purple line we expect actually in just well, a matter of days to get there. We're uh, talking about uh, delivering, uh, delivering this plan about December. Is that it? The, the plan is to de uh, transmit this plan to um, the county council um, in December, probably okay. by the Hero River Chinny Chin Chin, and then yeah. um, the 60-day uh, review period uh, for the executive so takes us into mid-February. So that takes us into mid-February. And the council will then be starting the budget. Uh, so we will maybe June is probably a good guess for the earliest that we'll get it out of the council. Um, so we sh we should know by then. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, what the what the preferred alignment is and what the preferred mode right. is. 
by that time. Um, I think in the transmittal that we send with the uh, uh, with the plan, we ought to point this out to mm-hmm. the council. Absolutely. That, uh, we've uh, we've withheld uh, the inevitable judgment. Um, in, a, in an abundance of uh, prudence or something. What, what kind of information will be coming to us between now and the times when we will be making those recommendations to evaluate um, one mode versus another and, and in all of its glory? Well, we'll have the EIS by that time. Right. Know, but you're saying November for that. Right. Well, that's the assessment. And, and actually, the same thing. The, the document that they're yeah. producing here is called an environmental assessment because it's a modification to the uh, environmental impact statement prepared in 2002. Um, but it will have basically an update. You know, we do have some preliminary information on cost effectiveness that uh, suggests that uh, bus rapid transit is uh, supportable, but light rail transit is not supportable. Now, again, one of the things that we are doing in the Gaithersburg plan is looking at a longer route, but one that would uh, provide many, many more riders. Um, our staff judgment at this point is that that should be making it even more competitive as a bus rapid transit, but is probably not enough to make it a light rail transit competitive uh, um, uh, facility. And, and the, the, the other advantage of, you know, just the other advantage of going bus rapid transit, both it's, it's less expensive in terms of both capital costs and rolling stock and a uh, little more costly in terms of labor. Right. Uh, but roughly equivalent because you've got different kinds of shops that you have to set up for rail. And um, we, we have the, the fundamental public infrastructure uh, in, in uh, ride-on uh, available to migrate it to bus rapid transit. Mm-hmm. So there's that, that possibility, plus there is a possibility of a private operator or something like that. It's, could find it. Right. Also, bus rapid transit would address some of the criticisms of the transit way in general because you could have buses come down to, say, Germantown, and then they could take I-95 as express right to the... You mean 270? Right. 270, yeah, excuse yeah. me. You could have 270 take express right yeah. to the metro station and have other ones that would go on down the busway to the lower stations. Yeah. Right, the oper- and make the whole system more competitive. Operationally, there's just an enormous number of, of, uh, of benefits, I think, to bus, plus the fact that you uh, you can circulate and pick up so there's not as many modal shifts mm-hmm. as there is with uh, rail. And then that would also be something that would factor into our staging plan because with yep. uh, light rail, right. it's got to be built in minimum util- utilizable segments, and uh, you've got to have one, uh, you know, it's got to work all together. With bus rapid transit, we could be uh, getting the private sector uh, could be incented to uh, help provide pieces of that and not necessarily build just from Shady Grove to Metropolitan Grove as phase one and let phase two north of Metropolitan right. Grove sit. I just want to mention that um, I think coming up in the near term, you'll see the county executive releasing a, a new um, <laughs> bus plan for the county. And um, I think hopefully we'll, we'll, it will relate to the bus rapid transit concept and, and uh, showing how that concept can be expanded. That's great. So hopefully that will come out shortly. That's great. Good. 
Um, similarly, in terms of mode, there's the eastern leg. The 1989 plan does also have the recommended, recommended uh, eastern leg for the quarter cities transit way. That's another reason. If it's bus rapid transit, the flexibility for using that is definitely enhanced. Mm -hmm. um, clearly, that's something that the uh, Maryland Transit Administration is not studying now. Um, so it's behind uh, schedule. Should light rail be selected for the quarter cities transit way, but could be advanced if bus rapid transit was uh, selected. And again, that's a place where generally the right of way has already been preserved. Uh, we do recommend some, uh, some more specificity in terms of multimodal connections. Um, there have been studies done. Uh, we've, we've been working with uh, DOT and the state over the past uh, decade on the quarter cities transit way. My little arrow keeps on popping off. But uh, at, at, the core, at the town center, we are now recommending that this is not a place that we want park and ride uh, located. Um, the Germantown plans in the past or the, the planning done for the quarter city transit way said we do need to have um, about 1,000 park and ride spaces among the Germantown stations. Our recommendation is that these spaces be concentrated at the northern end of the uh, Germantown uh, plan area at the Dorsey Mill and Mannequin stations uh, for a couple reasons. One, those are areas that are a um, uh, little bit lower density. Uh, they are closer to I-270, and we are recommending that there be access just to and from the north from I-270 to Dorsey Mill that would facilitate both the kind of capture of uh, of uh, traffic coming down into Germantown for a mode shift via park and ride, uh, as well as bus transfer access. I'll, I'll mention that that's uh, Metropolitan Grove has been discussed as a um, you know a hinge point on the uh, quarter series transit way, in part for the same reason that it's uh, at the Mark Station and it's got uh, planned access to I-270. So that's a uh, you know the direct access to I-270 is more important for that kind of capture and mode shift than it is for um, direct access into the town center. Uh, we also need to be, uh, and are working on this, uh, ensuring that we've got adequate bus bays um, for multimodal connections at each of the uh, uh, quarter city transit stations. Uh, there was a lot of testimony concerning pedestrian bicycle facilities. Uh, this is another area where, as, as Karen mentioned, we think part of it is just communicating what's in the plan. Um, we are building on the countywide bikeways functional master plan that the county council adopted in 2005 uh, that is, of course, countywide. We're really looking at uh, a network of shared use paths. Uh, these are the places, the routes shown in blue on this map that are both connecting our community facilities and are essentially along all of our major highways. So as Karen showed, the boulevard concept for major highways, uh, those are places where even though we would say they need to have on-road accommodation for those folks who want to be on road, we recognize that a lot of folks will not want to ride on road and need to have a shared use path along those roads to get good bike connectivity. Uh, we do recommend in purple some key on-road connections for those locations where the speeds are going to be a little bit slower as we talk to you uh, uh, in the road code discussion. Um, and are beginning now some uh, more intense road code coordination to say throughout the network of streets um, what, what uh, design standards and what target speeds would we be recommending be considered for the Germantown plan. Uh, there are also a number of local pedestrian connections that are often um, below the radar of uh, individual streets and highways in the plan, but uh, are important to be getting folks to the town center. I think those are good. And I also think uh, getting uh, getting the road code elements into the plan are very important. Yeah, too. we're glad to have good. that discussion with DOT last week. 
There's also uh, some concern about the relationship between Maryland 555 and Mid-County Highway Extended. This map shows the overall context of the Mid-County Corridor Study that uh, DOT is undertaking. Uh, again, M83 or Mid-County Highway is being built in Clarksburg. Um, it's conditioned to be built as far south as Ridge Road, and then it's uh, in our master plan, but uh, very controversial from Ridge Road down to uh, uh, Montgomery Village Avenue or Maryland 124. Uh, what is this the is status the of that right now? Do you know, Dan? Status of that right now is that DOT is in the process of doing what's called phase one of facility planning. Uh, that's something that uh, is expected to be completed in 2010. Um, and would then go to, right. Uh, the reason for this is that uh, this is a facility, again, it's a, it's a, a very challenging facility to study in any mode or alignment. Uh, the level of uh, concern about it has prompted the county to agree to essentially a partnership with the permitting <coughs> agencies, the U.S. Corps of Engineers, the Maryland Department of the Environment. It is a county study but uh, the county is undertaking something that is essentially the same type of work as an environmental impact statement so that uh, should a build recommendation come out of that study that we've already got the federal agencies and state agencies that would be involved in permitting for the amount of impacts there on board with not only the recommended alternative but the process that was followed to get to that. My concern that I don't want to see duplicated is that that was in a master plan already. Mm -hmm. And we're just now talking about all these other things that are going to go into a master plan. Uh, I, I couldn't even tell you with exact certainty what, what date that master plan was released. I know Sue could. Um, so for this one, I want to be sure that these things have some, some link, some evaluation point, some something that triggers that stuff to come back before the board for us to see where we are and, um, and, and make assessments of whether or not what we projected in terms of build-out predicated on those things makes sense. Well, in terms of the DOT study, when they get towards the end of uh, the phase one, we would be, well, actually, we would have them coming back to us for a alternative selection process. Um, what's the right alternative to take forward into detailed design? Um, the similar, similarly, because they are working on uh, the review with the Corps of Engineers and Maryland Department of Environment. They are in the process now of selecting what's in the federal term called alternates retained for detailed study. And uh, we'll be looking for briefing you when DOT is ready to brief the council on the status of that project. Dan, let me ask you, what do you mean that the level of uncertainty has informed our Germantown master plan? What do you mean exactly? By okay, that, uh, that uh, because M83 is in their master plan, some folks have said we should be taking it out of the master plan. It's a, a environmentally, uh, um, uh, it's got a lot of environmental impacts. It's got a lot of capital cost. Uh, there should be different ways to do it. DOT is looking at about 11 different alternatives to the master plan alignment. One of those uh, alternatives is improving Maryland 355, which is on the eastern boundary of our master plan. Um, when we have uncertainty, there's a study that says we may need to change a master plan. One thing we try to do is to say, can we make sure that we're preserving options appropriately? And so our recommendation for Maryland 55 ultimately is that it's a six-lane major highway with three interchanges and it has a boulevard treatment. Because it may need to, if M83 is to found to be uh, unpermittable or otherwise unsatisfactory, there could be a shift to say Maryland 55 would have to take on more of a role in serving Clarksburg and connecting up county to the portions of uh, Gaithersburg and Rockville to the south. 
in which case we would have to be entertaining a master plan amendment at that time. It would so, affect the sector plan? Well, that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to prevent it from affecting the sector plan by saying that while that study is ongoing, we should be protecting a wider right-of-way along Maryland 55. We're recommending a 250-foot wide right-of-way until we have the county council certainty on the status of MA3. And so I think that's the best of both worlds. Basically what that allows us to do is if we get subdivisions along there is to place land in reservation. Exactly. Or to use ALAR funds if necessary to acquire the right-of-way. That's correct. And we think this actually helps us with the state and federal agencies in the study process. It's a, um, a little bit like the intercounty connector in that, uh, you know, if we were to, as the local government, start approving development right along one of right along Maryland 55, the concern has been expressed. Well, are you pushing the state and federal agencies into a decision to have to pick something that's been protected? So here we're providing an opportunity to protect an alternative to the master In terms plan. of capacity, though, Dan, is that kind of an equal trade-off in your mind, what you're including in, you know, if you're, if you're looking instead at what we should do in um, protecting the rights-of-way? Are it, you sort of discounting the capacities and, and, uh, and offloading that that M83 would have provided? I wouldn't say discounting exactly, although I think we're recognizing that in any of the scenarios that DOT is studying, there would be not the same amount of link capacity, if you will, as what's envisioned in the current master plan for Mid-County Highway, mm -hmm. but that we don't necessarily need to have an exact one-to-one. -one. If there's four lanes on Mid-County Highway and six lanes on Maryland 55, that doesn't mean you need a 10-lane Maryland 55 in order to replace that function. But what you probably do need to do is to do things like access management, because Maryland 55 right now has a lot of streets and driveways on it. So the 250-foot-wide wide, right-of-way is designed in part to say, we might need, that might make it big enough that we need almost continuous service roads along it so that we, for the traffic that was going uh, through, you'd have uh, higher speeds. We've talked a lot about multi-way boulevards. You know, that's the kind of a concept that would be providing additional uh, um, capacity without saying that 355 had to be 10 lanes wide to replace the capacity of MD3. Right. And, and also that uh, with the right way would also um, enable if there was um, bus rapid transit or something that wasn't considered as part of the CCT. Um, it does set up that that sort of at that decision point, the, the sector plan would be uh, amended either to take m 3 out or take this 250 foot right away out. Um, but that's, you know, in 20 some 2012, 20, 25, 20. We're going to cut a ribbon for that on my 100th birthday. <laughs> and I think we already talked about the, uh, the elements on Maryland 55, uh, both the grade separations and the urban network concept. Uh, so now we're back to where we started, which is uh, staging. How do we get there? Um, this is something that we will bring back to you in a future work session. Um, but our, our staff recommendation is that we not consider staging these large facilities like the Quarter Cities Transit Way or I-270 and saying that a certain amount of development cannot proceed until they are built. Um, part of that is because we don't have control over those facilities should they be built using primarily federal or state funds, whereas we do have the ability if we want to stage county facilities to uh, make sure that they, we direct county funds to get those facilities built. Uh, we definitely believe just philosophically that transit-oriented development that we want there should be able to proceed the corridor city's transit way, that we should not be saying we can't have development in the Germantown Town Center until the CCT uh, comes online. 
and we recognize that the adequate public facilities ordinance still applies to subdivision. That uh, one of the challenges right now, which is that checks and balance system in Germantown East, is that because we don't have those facilities, development has to do more if it wants to proceed ahead of the provision of those facilities, either by local or state federal funding. Or if, if you know, we're, we're still if we if we alter the um, uh, the growth policy the way in which. Uh, the staff was uh, was talking where we've got a, a, a point system mm -hmm. in which uh, there may be uh, situations in which uh, we'll tolerate more congestion in order to get some other good mm -hmm. uh, that we want or we'll tolerate less congestion uh, because we're not getting the other goods that uh, we want. Right. So. There's one other concern mentioned kind of in this topic about growth policy, and that was what do you define as the Germantown town center? Um, we have a uh, urban area as defined in the, the road code that's in your packet. We have the master plan town center. We have the Germantown town center policy area. When we come back to you and talk about Germantown town center, we'll uh, um, reference the correlation of those okay. different boundaries. And that's one thing, too. You know, in metro station policy areas right now, you can do alternate review procedure. There are ways that's that right. we can do that kind of trade-off to get good development, even though the congestion is not satisfied by the developer widening intersections. And that's what we want to pursue in the... Yeah, I think the thing policy. we want to avoid is trying to, is, is just widening intersections in order to provide traffic capacity for a, a project. That... that if, if the intersection needs widening for good long-term reasons, we ought to do it. But if we're only doing it to increase traffic capacity for a particular project, it seems to me that that's not a good expenditure of public funds, and, and it really doesn't do what we need to do in terms of changing transportation behavior. Well, that shouldn't the design guidelines reflect that? So our policy guide, guidelines and transportation in the plan explicitly state that so that you know, if there's pressure to go the other direction, you look at the plan and say, don't do it. You know, deny the project, basically. Well, and then that's, that's the rub. The question is, do you, you just said don't deny the project, right? Do deny the project. Well, that, that's, that's the challenge. We, I think we want to find ways where we can say there are ways to get the project to be built if it's a good project no, and achieves all the, uh, the all development. <coughs> deny the development, not yeah. the project. Because what is, what is the orientation when you say it's you know transit oriented, what's mm -hmm. it oriented to? And, and we're we're saying you, you get to build out in a certain way based on it's transit oriented or it's whatever. Let's just not fool ourselves. I mean, if that's really what we're not going to do, then let's come up with a new label and and say what it is we're trying to get at. Well, I think what my staff is trying to, our staff is trying to say about transit oriented development, you can go with transit oriented development so far, and then you have to stop because you don't have the transit. It's kind of like Richelieu said about taxation. The art is knowing just when to pluck the last quill from the goose before it squawks too much. Well, so, oh, some are, are trained in that art and others aren't. We don't know when they <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> well, Very good. As, a, as an example a of alternative methods, when you say yes to development, but you know to widening of intersections to accommodate them, in the Shady Grove plan, we had a transit management district um, that we were promoting uh, participation in, and we put that as the first step with, with which you, when development comes in and we don't have capacity uh, in the system, that they have to uh, participate in the transportation management district, take trips and carpool and ride share and, and, and take as many trips off 
Um, I think we even had some numeric requirements of taking trips off so that we didn't trigger widening of intersections. We might want to look at that to see if yeah. it's uh, helpful in Germantown. Yeah. But I think something we really need is, I'm sorry, we really need to emphasize in the plan is the point that Commissioner Presley's driving towards is we're going to start with a transit-oriented concept. And so when you do your development, we want the development to look like it's transit-oriented development. But eventually there's going to come a point where you just say, no more until you get the transit. And I think that's basically what you're advancing here. Well, and I guess that that's an interesting question because then maybe it does, we should discuss this for a few more minutes to help inform the staging work session because our proposal was that would only happen at the individual case basis so that if we found that we did not accept the way a development could propose to achieve APFO, or if the development developer themselves said, I just can't move forward, that's the concern we're hearing in Montgomery East now, that the board would have the discretion to do that. But that would be different from saying in the master plan, we want a staging system in the master plan where the board is forced to say, we can't approve good development because the uh, infrastructure is not there yet. So our, our proposal, frankly, is not to have the master plan lay out that level of mm, restriction, but rather to say that the APF should be the guide to when when is enough enough, and I, I'm, I'm I'm hearing something that maybe is a little mm, different on that. I think maybe I'm saying the latter. You don't give up transit-oriented design. There may become a point where you're looking at the APF, and then you said, "Well, we just can't go any further." But we would do that at subdivision. In other words, mm -hmm. the philosophy of the master plan says that's the way you're going to approach it. Where the last quill comes out of the goose, you have to do apply in the APF philosophy I think that's I think that's probably the better way to go because uh, as, as we're talking about uh, sort of changing the way in which we uh, we measure or judge these things for an urban environment as opposed to the suburban environment uh, which we had in the past where the where the issue was there wasn't any road there at all and uh, we were insisting that the road had to be there before you could uh, before you could develop or simultaneously with develop here we got roads but we don't want to we don't want to expand them uh, so we're trying to figure out ways in which we can increase their productivity, and there may be various ways of doing that. Transportation demand management is one aspect of it. Uh, another is uh, uh, simply working, uh, well, part of it would be transportation demand management, which would be uh, staggered office hours or uh, the element of telecommuting. I mean, there are lots of things that are available to us today that weren't available when we first began uh, the kinds of staging operations that we've engaged in for the last 40 years. Right. It was just in the last growth policy that we said anywhere we can be using trip reduction and traffic mitigation agreements to be reducing uh, vehicle right. trip impacts as opposed yeah. to just in the metro station policy areas. Do you yeah. have any results of any of those that you've imposed that you could send me? Let me take a look at what, what's been required in terms of trip reduction. So I could, sure. Yep. I mean, that would yep. be very helpful. Yeah. We'll get that to you. Okay. Uh, that's it. So uh, very good. Appreciate the guidance. And any anyone will run this like a friends meeting. Anyone have anything they're compelled to say that's on their heart at the moment? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for having me again, Margaret Shope. Uh, I'm on your. Um, Citizens Task Force Committee, and I'm also a part of Day Spring Church, and we have 
uh, met in this conversation before about M83. Right. I, I thank you for a couple minutes of your time. I have six quick points to uh, bring out about M83. Uh, one is when it w showed up on the master plan in the late 60s and up to this time, uh, there is one reason to build it that I hear the uh, pro-road people saying, which is it has always been in the master plan. I haven't heard any other good environmental reasons for that. Uh, secondly, to destroy the northern portion of the green belt of Germantown, which um, the, uh, uh, the staff in, um, that, that, that I totally respect, uh, these three right here, um, uh, are putting in to the new uh, master plan, talks about um, being proud of that green belt and being proud uh, that we are moving into a time of um, consciously being aware of uh, being sustainable in, in a, uh, having a sustainable living environment. If that M83 is built in the North Germantown Greenway Park, uh, that, is an, uh, that destruction will be irreversible. We well, I think what uh, uh, this, this plan won't show M83. Uh, but this, it is still talked about. Uh, it, it has to be talked about until a decision is made whether to eliminate it and, or keep it or change it. And that will be made after the study has been completed on it. And then we'll decide whether or not we want to keep it on a master plan. Uh, but, Dan, you talked about it um, having all of these roads finished by 2020. So it was in a plan that I, I just heard you say. That, that's correct. We are assuming that it's part of our analysis, as are all the other roads and transit projects in the region, as well as all the development in the region. If, if we then make a decision that we need to find an alternative to that, we would have to revisit the plan. We're setting this plan up to provide us the flexibility in the geographic area of this plan to accommodate an alternative to M83. And I appreciate that uh, the 11th uh, alternative to M83 was a no-build, which uh, would be, um, I would think, would be great to change that to a, instead of a no-build, to a public transit um, or railway and, and seriously consider that as you move into this new vision that uh, Roland Stanley presented to the uh, master plan uh, committee um, probably two weeks after he got here and, and that was uh, very exciting to hear. I also uh, lastly invite um, any of you out to see that space if you have not. Uh, we have just um, uh, we've had you out, uh, Dr. Hansen, and uh, Mr. Alfandre. We have uh, visited with him and uh, seen that uh, space of pristine forest and uh, wetlands. And if no one, if you've not been out there, it's really a, it's really a marvelous place. And uh, after our hearing today, I'm inclined to think we all might uh, benefit right. from it. Uh, not this hearing, but the one we had earlier today. <laughs> And I've been there in the past. It is magnificent. Yeah. No question yes. about it. And we, we have uh, appreciated your support on, on our uh, hoping that it won't go through, uh, Mrs. Cryer. Uh, Ms. Presley and Ms. Mr. Robinson, we hope that, that uh, in inviting you to come out that you can uh, spend some time and see that space and stand in it where uh, 
the tributaries and the streams in that North Germantown Greenway Park would be destroyed um, with, uh, with a highway going through. And um, uh, thank you for this time of okay. uh, giving thank me you. a few more minutes. Okay, thank you for coming. Uh, let's move uh, to the uh, roundtable. Uh, we've got a couple of things here, Mary. Good evening for the record, Mary Bradford, Director of Parks. And uh, in the interest of the health and vision of the board, I, I'm not going to give you my written re director's report this time. I'll just send it along in your packet and okay. publish it and just hit a couple of highlights so uh, of what's been going on. And also because of that, uh, we've made our changes to the semi-annual report uh, following the direction we received Monday night. And um, a lot of the staff who's working on it, most of my team had other obligations this evening, but uh, we're putting that all together and that will all be sent with you in your Friday packets. So if you have any comments or uh, 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 corrections, um, we'll be before you again next week and you can bring them then. So Perfect. we'll have we'll have all that for you. It's just about all done. I've got my section. And I think I've captured most of what all of you brought up. Um, I will just mention a couple of things. Um, uh, there's been some activity on renaming the Leland Center in Chevy Chase for the late delegate Jane Lawton. And uh, we'll bring, I think I'm going to bring a formal packet before the board. When I talked to you about it earlier this week, Mr. Chairman, I thought perhaps yeah. we could just handle it at the roundtable. But we're still tracking down sort of who's going to pay for what, budgets being what they are. And I have been um, attempting to make contact with the family to find a suitable date. So when we get all of that together, we've placed it on the agenda, and it will become before you for a, for a vote under our renaming policy, which right. has certain requirements. Um, we also have um, – I also want to tell you something else that's going on. Uh, we've been getting a lot of um, uh, state legislator delegates and uh, county council attention as the, as the uh, evidence of our no-mow policy in certain open spaces. And our plants are starting to die out here. And uh, boy, that does, that's, that's sort of the first thing people see when budget cuts happen. And so uh, just to let you know, uh, there have been a whole series of discussions. Uh, you will make it, maybe get some legislative contacts about that. If you do, just refer them to me through Joyce, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to them. We've got 40 no mow areas in the southern region, and many more in the northern as well. And so we, every time you start giving one neighborhood a break, you just sort of open up that door, and it's. it's I understand Mr. Berliner is going out to mow one park. Uh, no, Mr. Berliner actually sent a very nice letter. I yeah. think he understands his constituents' concerns, okay. but he's also well aware of the budget cuts, and his staff members uh, generously agreed to meet with our PAC park staff um, this morning at the site and with some of the neighbors in uh, one of our parks, uh, Airline Park. So yeah. uh, that's that's moving along well. Um, and the golf courses will be coming before you very soon. Um, there was something in the Gazette, for those of you who saw it yesterday, about um, the results of the stakeholders around the Sligo Creek golf course, and I just wanted you to be informed. Uh, I had a meeting yesterday with Keith Miller of the Revenue Authority. Uh, uh, Commissioner Robinson was, I believe, the only member on the board at the time of the transfer to the management of the Revenue Authority and may recall um, that part of their agreement to take on all four courses was they thought they could make some improvements which would enhance revenues to support the whole system. And uh, that, that's beginning to – there's sand in those tracks. So, um, uh, Mr. Chairman, you asked some questions when they came before us with their 
uh, with their plan. Um, uh, unfortunately, no really um, uh, uh, good progress has been made, except the dialogue with the community has been open and fruitful. Uh, so far, that is not in the Revenue Authority's purview. <laughs> but the issue of what happens with Sligo Creek, if the improvements can't be made, will come before you after Mr. Miller has a chance to make a presentation to his board. Very so good. we've scheduled that for you as well. Um, and the other one that involves uh, some uh, county council interest that you might want to know is one of the county council staff members has been uh, pursuing rather diligently a program for Second Chance Wildlife Center, some sort of county support and funding for this facility. Uh, they are a tenant of ours. Um, you know, we're, we're working through all the details. There were some meetings this week and last. Um, I don't know how that's going to come before you, but I would be prepared to uh, see. And if you get any questions about that as well because of uh, legislative interest, just let me know, and I will uh, give you a Okay, uh, if we, before you they get some funding forward. for second um, chance, maybe uh, they'll also fund the road that we need to get in there. Well, interestingly enough, I wanted to tell you about another development. Um, uh, Commissioner Alfandre made a very interesting comment. Which was, Why can't you just sort of put something in off uh, Fieldcrest? And I think we may have discovered that if it's a driveway and not a road, there may in fact be something we can do. Okay. So uh, I just want to say, uh, uh, yeah, there, well, there's a will, there's a way. And... Uh, I've got my park development staff are working on that a right driveway, now. Driveway would be a very Just good a thing temporary there. driveway yeah. um, pending some other outcome. Uh, so I'm not going to let you know all my secrets. Though. Oh, no, no, no. We, we, we'll, uh, we'll take any ones that you have. Uh, also coming before you, I want to tell you about one thing this week with our historic properties. Uh, uh, we're, we're quite troubled by... Um, well, first of all, we're, we're quite glad that we got a lot of good historic uh, preservation folks on staff, and we did have some budget increases. Um, but the money to do the stuff they want to do didn't really follow. So uh, we've got what might be considered, I don't want to call it a FEMA roof. We've put a temporary roof up on the Darby store to try to protect it from the winter. It should last about six months, I'm told. Um, and uh, it's just one of a number of things uh, going forward. We're going to be talking to you at some point. I think we've got something on the board agenda for October about curatorships and historic properties in general and uh, what, we, what, what we're thinking about doing and what we propose to do. So that will be another, another thing coming before you. There's a lot to talk about on that topic, but um, you'll, you'll get it all when it comes up. Uh, Brooke Farquhar, who was sitting here earlier talking about the Germantown plan. Is she still here? She's Hello, still here. Brooke. She remains. Oh, and Joy, Joy Lample's there as well. Um, uh, Brooke has just returned from an urban parks conference and is brimming over with ideas. And I just want to say, from my point of view, this couldn't be a more timely addition to park staff to get someone who's specializing and interested in urban parks because, boy, have we gotten there in a hurry. Yeah. That's the kind of open space. And some of the things she described to you is where we're going. And so I think it was very forward-looking of you and, and the board to uh, – to, to approve our proposal to do an urban park study. I think we're in a whole new world for us, and uh, I'm, delighted, uh, I'm delighted with that. One more thing. I thought I had a short list, but as I think of them, the deer management program is beginning now. It's autumn. We have to start uh, with, uh, with that. Uh, that's been published and posted. We are trying to mitigate conflicts with neighborhoods and get the word out the best way we can so that we don't have any. We've had a very successful and safe program, and we direct in our department that program for the entire county. So for the new board members, um, that's something I thought maybe you might want to be aware of. Good. Okay. 
No, we use a combination. Well, we use a combination of sharpshooters and uh, our own staff and some other resources we have uh, for selective reduction. Is that, uh, isn't that the most popular program behind recycling? <laughs> popular in what way, uh, Commissioner? De de depending on whether or not we've solved the financial crisis, it may be a increasingly important <laughs> program. Are you seeking sources for board lunches, perhaps, or um, something like that? I think like you might that? be suggesting We're, that here's a revenue opportunity here. <laughs> you would not believe how many creative – well, you may believe how many creative <laughs> revenue opportunities we've developed. What's the license for deer hunting in the state of Pennsylvania? I'd be interested to know that. <laughs> Okay, Selling well, chances, that's it. Um, there will be more, but we'll send it on. Sam People, by the way, is touring. Uh, Sam People, doesn't mean. Sam Parker, Chairman Parker, is uh, touring the Diedrich Annex tomorrow. Uh, he's quite uh, quite taken with the changes that our own Terry Brooks made there in converting basically raw space into some very nice offices. And so um, we're hosting him over at Diedrich Annex tomorrow to take a look at those facilities. He may wish to copy them. Anyway, thank you very much. Can I ask a quick thank question? You. Yes. Quick question. Uh, yes. The enterprise Friend program, out. could you just maybe send a memo or something where we are with that? Yes, that actually, that's one of the – that is one of the sections in the semi-annual report, and you'll have a chance to review that with the materials you'll get this weekend. I mean, weekend. you're going to have some, something beyond the task force? Yes, we are. Um, we are doing a little bit for the semi-annual report, and we're coming back to you with, uh, based on the comments made from the board, we're, gonna, we're scheduling some time on the board agenda to come back for a fuller discussion and to come up with your recommendations before we go to county council. Okay, thank, thank, thank you. you, Mary. Ron? This is a small increase in fees. Okay. okay. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, this is actually late, and I apologize, and I tried to explain in my uh, cover memo exactly what happened here, but I also want to give you a little understanding of how we do charge fees. Uh, two of you were not on board as we were going through the 09 budget discussions and trying to figure out, you know, how could we cover uh, revenues, uh, how could we bring in enough revenues through fees to cover the cost of doing development review. And once we had, once the council had decided that we were trying to incorporate all the costs into development review, it, it became quite clear that given what's going on right now in the economy, there was no way we could raise fees enough to cover, quote, the costs. Uh, the board was, was quite explicit in saying that. But we were asked in the, in the course of doing the budget if there was some way we could raise a little more money. Uh, we weren't really asked by the board. It was just in the budget discussions. And so we put our heads together and we came up with a way where if we increase just the base fee that we charge, uh, where we would come up with about a quarter million dollars additional revenue. Uh, 
I attached here as attachment one a, a sample of our fee schedule because most of you probably haven't seen this. And we have a relatively complex fee schedule that we follow where if you're doing a preliminary plan, you get charged a base fee and then you get charged an additional fee based on the number of units. If it's less than 100, it's one additional fee for each unit. If it's over 100, it's different. Site plans, same way, or a square foot charge if you're doing commercial uh, development. So it's fairly complex and we and it's always a guesstimate because, of course, we never know how many plans we're going to get in in a given year, whether they're going to be for three units or for 300 units. So whenever we're trying to calculate what our revenues will be, it's, it's tough. And as you're hearing, uh, we've had too much spread between the revenues coming in and what we had hoped we would get. But this would generate about... Well, had we put it in place July 1, it would have generated about $270,000, but we didn't remember that we had said we would do this, and uh, it was brought to my attention. So I rapidly put together a little memo, which is on attachment two, uh, you'll actually see the fees as they are now, the fees if we just raised the base by 1,000, how many plans we had last year in each of these categories, and therefore how much additional revenue we would bring in. And as I show, had we done it originally, it hopefully would have brought in about $270,000 more, um, but because a third of the year has is, is passed, we've already taken in 17 preliminary plans, 13 site plans, 43 record plans, and two pre-preliminary plans. So that means basically that we've already given up $48,000 worth of revenue but it's never too late to get started. So what I was hoping, if you agree with this change, uh, that we could implement it starting October 1st, which is next week. Uh, I did inform the Building Industry Association of this, and I didn't get a, they weren't happy, but they weren't shocked either. So uh, they didn't raise any hue and cry. So uh, the, I, I met with the Building Industry Association and explained to them how this had been calculated and that I was going to still need to bring this to the board. Um, how, how, did, how do you feel about, you know, the fewer, like, one, let's see, site plans, residential, is that one to nine units? Yes. Um, In other words, that, this is just based on the way we do our fees now, so that if you look on the fee schedule and you look under site plans, which are on page two. Yeah. I'm just wondering if there are some categories that are $1,000 not many, that one in particular. Well, again, we charge a much bigger fee. This is just the base that we're increasing by 1,000. Right. Well, it's 3,500. Right. right, right and now. We're going it, up to 45. Right, exactly. And um, I think that one of our issues was, and you weren't here then, but in 06, when this first came about, that we were changing the way we were defining our costs, and they went up so dramatically. We increased our fees by 300% at that time. Um, I, I have said on many occasions that I'm not comfortable substantially raising fees again because, to be very honest, I don't think we've provided the, the consistency or the streamlined process yet that we should be providing in order to really justify. You're getting there, though. We're getting, getting there. We're working yeah. hard at it. Thank you. No, I, don't have a, I mean, it's a good return on investment. I'm just thinking of the times, to be honest with you. And let, let me just ask one other question. The applications were up but the, the revenue was down. The applications were actually very similar in number to the prior year. And the revenue year. was down because they were smaller? Revenue down because they're smaller. One of the things that people always forget, but it's rather indicative if you look at our first four months, is that uh, the, the greatest number of plans of applications that we get are for record plats, and, of course, that's a much smaller charge than what you're getting if you're doing a whole 
so, so to say we got the same number of plans, if more of them are record plants, then that's one reason the revenue goes down. Is this the number 200? Is that the grand total under NFY08? If, if, if um, well, this is what we're predicting for FY09, but it's based on FY08 oh, plan oh. numbers. So yes, where you see that. So the 270 was from July to now. Yes, sir. And and you think we're going to generate the same from now? No, I, I predict we'll bring in about 220 for the remaining of the year. Yes, yeah. just the extra thousand. You guys got to get smarter on that with the. Sorry, you, know, you may have you may, you may have confused something. It, she had projected 270 for the whole fiscal year. And because we haven't enacted this yet, we'll lose about 50 of that oh, I see. if we enact it now to the end of the fiscal okay, year. Okay, okay. Yeah, it wasn't 270 for the summer. I was going to say, yeah. that impact fee raised. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, as, and as Rose mentioned, this is on the base fee, not the unit fee or the per square foot fee. Yeah. I would just like to also throw in it just by coincidence. I think we just had an application come in for 200 and... 196,000. 196,000. Under the new okay. world. Under, well, it actually was under the yeah. old... Good. Yeah. And Can the, we hold off on <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, the reason that's... Just amortize the difference yeah. over the development review stand. Okay. Do need changes, though. You had just a few. If they're supposed to be all by up by 1,000, under project plans, the extensions, under consent item board... Uh, should be 3250 instead of 4500, and then under uh, yeah. record Oh well, plats. you'll see in the actual memo. I hope I remember to say it. Did we actually increased the consent items by more than a thousand. Okay, so that one's good because staff really felt that the amount of work it was taking deserved to be further increased. People need to respect. So the everything fact was a thousand except okay. for the consent items, which we doubled, and the record plats we didn't raise by a thousand. We only raised by 370 because we. We and extensions, feel. is that the project plan extensions? Is that only by 100? Uh, that should be 1,000. Okay. So I just have a mistake. That's all. Okay. Okay. Is there a motion for approval? Uh, move. move. Second. Second. All in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Aye. 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 I've got to tell you, the Go return that they, I see that they get sitting on this side is pretty great. I mean, you, you guys really break your back <laughs> to get plans done for these developers, and I'm not sure they realize it. I don't think they necessarily appreciate from the board's point of view how much the no. quality of the work has improved in the last it's two or three phenomenal. years, it's too, which phenomenal. means that it's easier for them to get things approved. Yep. Thank you. I greatly appreciate that, and I'll tell my staff. Well, I'm going to start passing the word to them when they complain. If Good. they do. They really do work extraordinarily hard to try and cover yeah. every base. And okay. What else you got? Okay. Well, thank you, Russ. Thank you. We Thank came you. back uh, because we gave out the semi-annual, and you were going to report back to us. Um, Commissioner Cryer handed me written comments this morning, which I think... I've got some written comments, but I won't give them to you tomorrow. Okay. Sure, and the dog ate your homework. No, <laughs> they're on my desk upstairs. <laughs> um, I just forgot about it. So you're good with the report as written, right? That sounds good. There, there's one thing, uh, one general comment I want to make uh, that um, I, I mentioned to Gene this morning is that uh, we got to remember this was a report that's written for the council. And uh, right now the tone of it is more uh, as a, a public um, document. And while it is a public document, uh, it really has to sharply address uh, the issues that the council will be concerned about, and I've got some comments. Part of my comments go to that. Uh, go to that issue. 
Uh, Jean, I wanted to thank you for your comments. I was working on them today, and we said, I could tell you used to be an editor. You had very good comments, and I struck need and put in want and all those things. So thank you. And, and people, folks, and residents, remember? Yes. That one, too. And I'm preparing a birthday card for nephew. I'd like you to go over before I send it to you. <laughs> Good. I think we've got also some comments on the TMX zone or something like that that John and Glenn are here for. Good. We had a fascinating session on Monday with the Fed committee. And, uh, John? <laughs> More than fascinating, I would say. <laughs> it's interesting experience up there right now. Um, well, I, you know, I, I don't know if we want to get into the details of the. I, I do have comments. We want to send up to the council from the board. I, I guess right. was the notion. Yeah, I, the I, I really don't want to be in the position of going back uh, to the Fed committee and um, uh, essentially uh, be in a position of saying uh, these are the chairman's uh, views. Yes. I want to be able to say these are the board's views on, <laughs> on things. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I, I think we can quickly uh, run down uh, the, uh, the particular elements that we need to respond on. Uh, I don't have uh, Jeff's memo in front. You've got his memo of the things that uh, we have to respond on. Um, yes. At this time of day, I'm not sure that I will remember them all, so go ahead. Well, okay, there were some general requirements about uh, FAR. We're, we're sticking with the FAR. We're, we're sticking with the notion that the master plan can undercut the master plan, uh, undercut the FAR that's allowed in the zone. This has been a very tenuous thing. And for you, I mean, I, people like me would think, gee, what's the a, what's a big deal about that? But, and I still don't know what the big deal is, but they keep quizzing us on this. Uh, the, uh, the issue here is uh, uh, whether in the master, uh, is, is how in the master plan, the, the committee at this point has said uh, we don't have to have a height, maximum height limit in the TMX zone. Uh, but they wanted us to have in the zone some criteria that could be used uh, for uh, establishing the lower height limit. The position that, uh, that I took in, in drafts that I've given to staff is that um, w the, uh, the limitations on height that appear in the zone are essentially limitations that deal with projects that come in under the optional method. Uh, the, the council, uh, with our advice, we hope, uh, can put any height limit that it thinks is appropriate in the master plan. That's a recommendation. And one of the things that a uh, site plan or project plan has to do uh, is uh, to uh, address the recommendations that are in the master plan uh, and be in substantial conformance with those recommendations. Uh, but then, in addition to that, they have to do all of the other things that you have to do in the standard method, and there are about ten things that, uh, that they have to do in terms of uh, its relationship to the, uh, uh, to the area and to the uh, other buildings and to provide for the circulation system and the public facilities and all of these things. 
Um, have you got in front of the uh, the other things that that yes. we we added in there, and have you played with those today so that you've I got have. some specific recommendations for us? I have. I don't know if you want to go through them because they're awfully small in, in terms of detail. I, I I can go through those. Uh, I I think the board ought to hear them. So you might that, want to get the gist of, of many of these, and then, yeah. then you can decide how detailed you want to get. I don't think we have to get into great detail, but uh, I think the gist of them would be good. Development standards was the next thing. So, yeah. so we have a specific development standards under the standard method uh, and more open-ended standards under the optional method because that leaps to, towards the master plan and its look. And so in your deliberations today on Germantown, these issues of hype there are, are going to become increasingly important, I think, with the council as, as well, we yeah, go that's through That's standards still master. into the TMX zone itself. What's that? These the, are standards built into the TMX zone. Not for height. We, we will have a, no, but that is the design standards you just referred to, I believe. No, they're not. The specifics are not written in into the uh, into the zone. There, okay. there are standards for public use space. There are standards for that, those kind of density, but but not much more detail than that. So okay. again, it looks to the master plan just like you've been doing in in CBD zones. All right. Thank it uses you. Uses the same model. Uh, this notion of to have a project plan or not to have a project plan was discussed in, in great debate. Uh, hopefully they end up with, with the project plan. This, this was something near and dear to my heart, but not just because I like project plans, but there's a consistency of process here, I think, across the, the 355 corridor and uh, through our central business districts. We, we need to have a consistency of process, and then within that let the design make the difference, not the process the difference. But isn't the project plan really important for setting kind of the broad parameters Absolutely. of the project? Yes. Absolutely. Particularly one, one since we're not going through a hearing examiner process under the TMX. That's so right. Our standards proposed for optional method mm -hmm. projects in this. Yes. I think we need to talk about. Yeah. The, uh, the two, two key things. Go back uh, to the standard method. We're requiring under this zone, we're requiring site plan under standard method. Uh, uh, question: uh, the, uh, the initial question on on the uh, site plan issue for the standard method is whether we should also require public facilities and amenities yes, with the standard method. Yeah. Now that's been rewritten to to exclude the public facilities by by name, but explicitly. But you still have the site plan review process to yeah. And I I kind of like the way that was rewritten. Uh, give me a copy of what I wrote. Sure. So. <laughs> John, isn't there? No, I won't have. Don't we already? You can look at mine. Currently, have the project plan in. It's just not being implemented very well. So, is the council asking us to take it out? The council, well, the council staff is asking us to take it out. Take the it project out. plan out. And, and and you know we we can't defend it very well currently because it's not well used. Well, I think we can defend it quite well, and I'm certainly no, glad I mean, to do that. No, currently being used. Appropriately is what I'm saying at parking plan. Well, the, the one thing about the project plan, and, and this is my perspective on this, may not be everybody's perspective. I think the the project plan details have gotten too excessive. We go too far in asking for I, too much right. at the project plan stat. That's not a zoning ordinance issue. That, that that's a institutional issue, and and we should make it much more conceptually conceptual, well, like like silver silver place. Have you done that? Well, I'm probably not quite yet. Give me some examples yeah. of the two specific. 
I, I would say the silver place, what you've seen there, that to me is a project plan. It, it lays out the general parameters of the, the site. It, it lays out the uh, public spaces. It lays out the height of the building. But it's, there's fuzzy lines, and, and it's done in magic marker. When, when you get to specifying the trees, the, the, whether it's pink or red azaleas, when you get to that, that's too detailed. Mm -hmm. And we, we have done a little bit too much of that. But Are you going to help your case by showing how you're going to go back to making it a more effective tool? We, we've described it, and, and we could take up uh, Silver Place like as, as an example too, of, of uh, what it is. I mean, the board, much like the pre-preliminaries, and I, I don't know if you've seen much of those lately, but there is a, what's called a pre-preliminary where you kind of look at it. There's nothing. And, and pre-preliminaries have come in here since I've been here with nothing. Uh -huh. yeah, well, uh -huh. Hey, what do you think? Well, maybe not quite that far. <laughs> let, 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 me, let me focus sharply on what we have to uh, deal with. The question is uh, on the standard method, whether to require public facilities and amenities. Uh, what I've recommended is that we simply say, that uh, they have to provide a site plan under the existing site plan rules. Right. One of the site plan rules is they have to show the public facilities and amenities to serve that project. And that's basically consistent with the nexus rule and everything else. And that we otherwise don't have to put anything in this ordinance that would just be redundant of what's already in the site plan requirements. Isn't that equivalent, Mr. Chairman, of, for example, in the CBD district in Silver Spring and Bethesda, as a function of the master plan, is there are certain minimum facilities and improvements that have to be made just if you build a project in Bethesda or in you, Silver Spring. You, you're breaking new ground with this site plan uh, under the standard method. But then we don't be do using that. the site plan to enforce it more rigorously yes. than we can under the current process. But yes. we wouldn't necessarily be asking people to do anything more than what the general design guidelines yes. for that particular area require for all development. Now, the, the council may ask that we put some a little more guidance in our plans about particular <coughs> Twinbrook plans since that's what seems to be the focus of this right now. What would well, the standard reasonable. method ask? Yeah, I'm not that's reasonable. Uh, so we, we might do that. We don't have it in the, in the Germantown. It wasn't there no. today. No, it wasn't. This is... I mean, we're moving right ahead with it. This is we're trying to move yeah. ahead, and what we're getting <laughs> is enormous resistance, primarily from council staff. Mm -hmm. uh, which staff, just out of curiosity? Jeff. Uh, one, one element, uh, one thing that I've recommended that we take out of the um, text is the, in the description that says that this is a Euclidean zone. Yeah. There is no other zone in the entire mm -hmm. code that says it is a Euclidean zone. And I'm afraid that leaving that in uh, is an invitation to trouble. Uh, it is. It's one of those words, I think, that's losing its, well, what is a Euclidean zone? So, yeah. so, so we think we know, but I think it means different things to yeah. different people. Uh, on, the, uh, on the standards of approval for uh, the optional method, um, how do we decide that what, what the ultimate height of a project should be? under the optional method. 
Well, they have to go to the optional method standards that have 30 years of experience under the same ones used for the CBD zones. Now, the difference here is the CBD zones have a height limit set in the zone. Right, and there's more zones. There are more zones. We've avoided that here. One of the things that they have to do is have substantial compliance with the plan. But the issue was raised as to what other criteria would we use. And so the criteria that we would use, it seems to me, is that it conforms to the recommendations of the appropriate plan, and we would look at the relationship to other existing or planned development to facilitate the orderly development of the district, the distance from a transit station or adjacent residential neighborhoods, the provision of desirable and safe pedestrian environment, the carbon footprint, the effect of height and mass of the buildings on light, shadows, and circulation of air, and the avoidance or mitigation of adverse environmental impacts and that it satisfies the standards of the zone. Now, those are, I admit, not objective standards. I'm utterly confused. I thought the master of the TMX zone contemplated that we would actually put maximum heights right in the master plans. That's right. And the first thing they have to do is substantially conform to the master plan. Yes. And how do those criteria have anything to do with heights beyond me? Well, the light, air, and shadow has something to do with height. But they're going to ask, again, you just did Germantown and Twinbrook is up there. They're going to ask for a little more specificity in the Twinbrook plan to start off with, and we'll be prepared to write that. But we shouldn't put height in a master plan unless we really, really mean it. Right. This hopping around block by block with height, be careful. John, you didn't hear that. Can I hear it again, John? What I need to know is are you all comfortable with this? What I'm not comfortable with is the place where it has to conform to other existing and planned developments. We're sort of ambiguous about height. No, it talks about its relationship to the other. If you can justify not substantially conforming to the zone because the relationship is that three parcels around me are really thinking that they need to be taller, we all want to be taller. If it's more subjective, I don't have a concern about this particular one. There might be another that subjectively views it differently than we would. Maybe someone else is going to have this job. Let's hope. That was a remarkably gracious remark There are a couple ideas pertinent to those particular points I just want to mention before we go too far. You're looking for some kind of methodology here that bears a relationship to the sector plans. The first point that the chairman mentioned regarding 
Uh, he's having a relationship to distance from a transit station or from the residential neighborhood. That's important, but it may be too specific. Uh, I'm thinking specifically about the White Flint plan that we're working on now uh, and the methodology that you're going to see having to do with heights addresses not just distance from the transit station and putting the tallest buildings near the transit station, but also the distance from Rockville Pike. Rockville Pike has a lot of transit service, mm -hmm. and we're talking about putting the tallest buildings along Rockville Pike as well. That's not a transit station, but it is a very heavy transit corridor. So maybe we need to uh, refer to transit facilities instead of transit station just to make sure we don't. I think that's appropriate. Yeah. Okay. All right. Are we going to say planned transit facilities or existing transit facilities? Um, I'd just say from transit facility. You know, my preference would be to leave all of this out. I understand. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we're going to be able to do that. I think we've, got, you know, I think the standards that are already in uh, 59D2 mm -hmm. uh, for uh, the, they're they're fine. Uh, we've been using them for 30 plan. years. Yeah. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> um, the other point that I just want to mention, and it's possible, I guess, you could construe the second point uh, to address this provision of a desirable and safe pedestrian environment. There's one point that I think Marlene Michelson keeps bringing up, which is her fear that uh, what this will lead to is these buildings that are needles with these big spaces in between them. And I don't, and we've mentioned before that that's not what the design guidelines will call for, that we have these buildings with bases that create active street yeah. edges. Um, uh, maybe there's a way to capture her, to phrase it in a way that captures or addresses her concerns. Well, I don't want to, again, I don't want to get too specific of that, but, but what, I was, what I was thinking about, on this is the, is the reason that that relates to height right. is that the thing that really controls height in this zone is the FAR. Yes. Uh, you, uh, if you've got two FAR, you've got to have 100 acres to get very far. Uh, and you'd have to put it all on a small fraction of the land. Uh, so when we talk about a safe uh, pedestrian environment, we're talking about having the kind of podium uh, base uh, that would confront the street and therefore would mean that, um, let, let's say you've got uh, uh, 40, you know, 50,000 square feet to build on. If you're going to put street frontage along all of that for two to four stories, and then you're going to step back and have a tower over part of that. Mm -hmm. You can only get it over part of it because you will already used up a lot of your FAR uh, at that level. Uh, so there's not a whole lot that you can do with that. But we want to have enough room so that if somebody's got a really big tract, uh, one of you know some of the most walkable, best cities in the world have towers of. Uh, 20 stories or so, uh, and then uh, a, a low-rise area adjacent to it and uh, open space and some other things before they go to the next uh, uh, step. So you want to have... I think handling that issue that Glenn's is, is better in a master plan, it might even be better in the guidelines document, but, yeah, but in the zoning ordinance seem, seems not the best place yeah, I, well, to Well, I would that. agree. I, I would, you know, if we could not have any of this in the zoning ordinance, I'd be happy, but it certainly will be in the design. Some of us like me like needles, but I'm you know, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. 
But those are, those are the kinds of things that, that uh, we'll be talking with them about on Monday, and we're trying, to, we're trying to find a way of meeting the concerns that have been raised uh, and get this adopted so that we can get right. on with Right. Whatever we need to it's get the precursor of, well, certainly Twinbrook, but yeah. Germantown, you're probably using those there, too, and, and other plans. There are also, uh, staff has uh, interest in the Twinbrook plan. This is kind of overpowered, the Twinbrook plan, largely. But we're actually moving through the Twinbrook plan. Uh, so we probably would, would augment the technology corridor, if, if you remember that. Yeah. There, there weren't very many guidelines in the plan, so I, I would propose to add some. I don't have specific language for you, but they, they would address this needle issue. They would address this height issue, uh, maximums, and then at, at the edge. Not, well, not the other thing the, I think we have to point out to them in the Twinberg plan, John, I don't have any objection to adding some more uh, language in the plan to, to satisfy this, but we have a, a whole set, almost a whole page of general design guidelines. Yes. And then we've got some specific guidelines for each district. Yes. Within that. And those are cumulative. They're not Well, yeah. They're not exclusive. <laughs> right. So. And that's how yeah. yeah, we're talking about the master plan itself. Uh, this is Twinbrook is, is it? yeah. No. Well, you, you didn't get to the district. Uh, the, the we haven't got district. to the district yeah. yet. Yeah. Well, it's the town center. <laughs> the, the, little, the little bits of the big chunk. That's the rest of the transect. That's the next one down. Okay. Thank you. Okay? Yeah, good. So we'll Thanks. polish this up tomorrow and yeah. send it off. Good. Thank you. If any of you want to come, you're welcome. Yeah, this is fun. <laughs> behind you. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, Monday at um, the 6th. At what time? Monday the 6th. Uh, they're up at the 7th floor, the council building. 7th floor of the council They're building. usually at 2, but I'm not I sure I have a time for I this one I think it's yet. at 2, but we, we can yeah. give you. <laughs> Cash bar. <laughs> it's usually at 2, usually at 2 o'clock. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a Monday. And you see, maybe you see my notes there. there there's a couple notes on the uh, use table, which, yeah. uh, and a couple on the standard method, setbacks, I think, issues. But yeah. uh, we can go over those tomorrow if yeah. you like. Yeah, staff and I are going over these tomorrow and get something ready. And I thought we would send up a new clean draft uh, and say this is what we'd like you to adopt. Um, because otherwise, we one of the big problems that I, I, I'm finding with the discussion is contrary to the way in which we developed the zone here, in which we basically went over it line by line, uh, as if it were legislation, which it is. Uh, we have these general discussions that are unconnected in some cases to the actual language that is in the ordinance, and it makes it very difficult to get a settlement on the on the matter. So we really want to try to nail the jelly to the wall yeah. on this. I'm That's hoping this is the last work session on the plan with the Fed in, yeah. in, in any way and, and probably it, it, actually the October 6th isn't for the TMX zone, I, but although they may be combining it, I, yeah. I'm not sure at this point. Okay? Okay, thank you. Anything else? If not,
We're adjourned. Can you, can you, can you.